Welcome to the eighth ever episode of the Video Store Junkies podcast, a podcast about movies and the experience of watching them. It's Friday night, so of course we are back in the video store, and tonight we are watching a classic of the sci-fi genre. Tonight we are going to do a deep dive on this film, and we are going to determine whether it deserves that designation. And just a word of warning before we start this episode, Paul was having some audio issues. His sound is a little choppy. He is not actually a robot in real life, so apologies for that. Every 5,000 years. Remove the shield. When the three planets are in eclipse, the black hole like a door is open. Evil comes, spreading terror and chaos. There's nothing that can stop this. There is only one thing. Perfect. The Mondachiwan have in their possession the only weapon to defeat evil. Four elements gathered around a fifth. That's right. Tonight we're going to be talking about The Fifth Element. And I don't mean Boron. I mean the stylish 1997 sci-fi action film starring Bruce Willis, Mila Jovovich, Gary Oldman, Ian Holm, and of course, Luke Perry. I'm Zachary Edgerton, and I'm rather appropriately joined by four other co-hosts tonight. So before we dive into our discussion, let's go around and introduce ourselves, talk about when we first saw this film and you know what our relationship to it is. Unless you're Bill, who hates it when I say that, so you don't have to talk about your relationship. Um, and also, since there are five of us, let's uh, let's say which of the five elements we we think we are. And Renee, I'm going to let you start, so you get to pick the first one. Oh boy! Yeah. Um, uh, well, to start, I probably I'm sure I watched this movie when it came out uh, back in the day, and I know that I loved it. Um, and we'll talk about the the evolving relationship that I've had with this movie as we go on. If I can pick of all five, of course I'm the supreme being. What are you guys talking about? Um, <laughs> no, but if I had to pick an, like an actual element, but I guess if we're counting five, then there well, is no, so yeah, I'm just going to take five, it. So I'm just can, taking it. Supreme being. Yeah, I'm doing do it. it. <laughs> there you go. So who's next? What's the point is like, Oh, Top that. I, think, I think Bill just snorted, so I think I think he volunteered to go next. Bill, uh. <laughs> uh, let's see. I saw this movie. Hmm, I did see it in the theater. I pro I'm guessing when it came. What year is this? Uh, 1997. Oh wow, that late. Oh wow. So, well, now I'm thinking. I probably yeah, okay. That timing. I'm thinking. No, I did not see it when it came out. I probably rented it on uh, videotape and watched it with my ex-wife. Um, liked it. Liked it a lot. I mean, I, I like eye candy. Got lots of that. Um, I was a big, you know, Bruce Willis was was doing well at that time. He's had his ups and downs, but it's it's a good role for him and everything. I love Mila. I liked, I loved uh, The Professional. So I was, you know, at the time, a big Besson fan and still a fan of some of his earlier works. Um, what element would I be? I mean, she took the supreme being, so the rest of us are just you know, whatever. So, well, I'll take fire. I am the god of hellfire. You know, yeah, I mean, that's pretty cool. Fire yeah, gets respect. I mean, who's going to pick Earth? <laughs> well, I usually go last, so I'm probably going to be stuck with Earth. You're going to we'll be see. stuck with Earth, you know? It's like, yeah, yeah. Oh, I probably would have picked Earth if I didn't pick that one. <laughs> really? So, uh, yeah. 
I was going to pick Earth until you just said who would pick Earth. <laughs> I mean, well, it's Earth. Well, <laughs> well, well, then, Alan, why don't, why don't you go next and uh, tell us who you are and, uh, yeah, tell us which element you are, mo most importantly. All right, I'm Alan, and, um, well, I guess, not Earth, I guess I'm, uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll be water. Um, it was mine. <laughs> and this is, uh, so this is one of those movies where, you know, I was like, oh, okay, I'm going to watch this again because I don't remember that much about it. And I, I'm telling you, I didn't watch this movie all the way through the first time because there's lots of stuff in here that I really don't remember, but there's a few scenes that I definitely remember. So I'm, I'm thinking I was probably like at a friend's house playing cards and this was on in the background because I, I, I know that I had claimed to have seen this movie, but I just watched it. Uh, I just finished it again last night. And yeah, there was lots of things that I had no idea what happened, but um. So yeah, my relationship is that this movie, I guess, gave me amnesia, and I fixed that last night by watching it again. Great. Well, I'm interested to, to, to I would say uh, I'm interested to hear if it held up, but I guess if you don't remember it, uh, I'm interested to hear what your uh, initial reaction is. Paul, what about you? So I remember when this came out, I now, I remember at least thinking that they marketed it as a, like a super serious sci-fi film. Now, I haven't watched the trailer trailer in a long time, so maybe I misjudged that. But I remember at the time thinking it was that and had no interest in it. I was just like, I don't give a shit. It's just another, you know, Bruce Willis being big, big star and blah, who gives a shit. And then um, when it came out, it must have been on video or maybe it was on Showtime. I don't know. Um, my in-laws were, I think this is when, by the time they were, yeah, they were living with this by this time, I think. And uh, they were watching it uh, with my wife and uh, they were going to watch it. I'm like, yeah, you can start it up. I'm going to, you know, put my oldest to bed because he was only a couple years old and I'll come out and watch. So I came out just about the time the last Aziz light was being said. So I didn't miss that much. And I start watching. I'm like, wait, this is this is funny. Wait, how, what? this is funny. How is this? This is supposed to be fun. And and absolutely loved it. And since then, I, I can't even tell you how many times I've watched this movie uh, a lot. Um, more so than I, and I usually don't watch rewatch movies that often. Um, but uh, in a couple of years ago, actually, the Alamo had a the Alamo Draft House near us had a, a movie party for it, which was real fun. So my wife and I went and saw it, and that was great because they give you props and like everyone had a, a, a book of matches, which is really great to give people in a theater. And they had you light it during <laughs> the final scene. They give you like, had like one match to light, and so they should do yeah, that with Inglorious Bastards too. <laughs> Oh they, boy. You never know with them, they might. So uh yeah, I really enjoyed that. And that's my relationship with it. And what element I was gonna pick water, because see, then I could say, well, much like Luke Besson, I grew up wanting to marine, be a marine biologist. But no, I can't say that now because Alan took it. So I'll take I'll take uh wind, I'll take yeah, wind, air, air, I guess, because I'm just a blowhard. So that would be my I could say <laughs> I like to passing wind, so instead, but I'm I'm wind, so that's right. Either Earth way. is still out there, as predicted. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, uh, it looks like I am going to be stuck with Earth, whether I like it or not. Oh but, my hey, goodness! <laughs> I mean, I'll trade I'll with you, Renee, prophecy. if you want. Uh, yes, fulfilling <laughs> the prophecy. Uh, yeah. So I, I guess uh, you know how much time do we have? Geez, I, I I know that you guys are probably tired. My stories get longer and longer every single time we do one of these. Uh. Um, because Maybe you should have been wind. I don't know. I probably yeah. should be wind. Um, no, so, right, so I'm Earth because I'm salt of the Earth. There we go. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. I'll be wind. <laughs> so I'm my... still fire because much like Luke Besson, he should die in a fire. 
we'll get to that oh, part. Boy. Yeah, yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. Oh yeah. Any anyone who's tuning out because like that's mean. Um. Yeah. yeah anyway, that's, oh, that's great. I would have said the that. same thing a couple of days ago. Um. Anyways, so I'm gonna I'm gonna let, I'm gonna take you all the way back, not to 90, 1997, but to 1996, because the first experience I had with this film was actually, uh, and this tells you this tells you like how much this film is ingrained in my kind of memory and my teenage years because i remember this very distinctly but i think it was december of 96 or maybe january of 97 and i was actually going to see a different film i was going to see star trek first contact and one of the trailers that played before that movie was a teaser trailer that was just a giant five flying through space and then the i, I think the text that shows up on screen is like it must be found or something like that and this was the days before the internet so you didn't know you hadn't already watched, you know, the trailer online. You didn't already know what trailers were coming out. I had no clue what this meant. I had no clue what this was. But for some reason, it, it was so mysterious. It made a impression on me. And I remember going and I think a, a month or two later, finding like a, a science fiction magazine, like Starlog or something, and finding an article about it and be like, oh, man, that, you know, that sounds really cool. It's a movie with Bruce Willis. It, it you know, they showed some of the screenshots. Or, uh, or some of the still images from the movie. And, you know, it looked like nothing else that had been out at the time. So I very distinctly remember being very excited for this film. I remember going to see this. I still remember I saw it at the Waverly Place Cinema in Raleigh, North Carolina, which it no longer exists, like many cinemas. I saw it with my older sister, Mina. And I remember th this was a movie that I obviously had waited months and months for because I was very excited for it. And when it came out, I was just absolutely riveted i mean i was god i was i guess i was 14 when this movie came out so I, you know was, i was it's a great age to see it you know you see you have action you have mila jovovich wearing yeah. the thermal bandages for half the film <laughs> uh you know what more could a 14 year old boy hope for but and i also remember this film had a huge impact on me and i watched it like you know 20 times and i also very distinctly remember i was you know in like middle school at the time. And I remember evangelizing this film to a lot of people because it did okay at the box office. It was moderately successful, but it wasn't a huge hit. But I still remember telling everyone I possibly could about this movie. And so many people would be like, hey man, yeah, watch that Fifth Element movie. It's really good. So I think like in middle school, everyone knew me as the kid who went around telling everyone to go watch the Fifth Element. So, um, so <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> yeah, <clears throat> that was my, <laughs> that tells you how, how much of a cool kid I was in, uh, in middle school. <laughs> oh. <laughs> So, so yeah, wow. that's 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 my that's my background. That's my history. This is the the first time I had actually watched it, probably since the early two thousands. So it was very interesting to go back and watching a movie that I I saw you know probably twenty times as a teenager, but I hadn't really watched as an adult. Always an interesting experience. So be fun to talk about it, and uh, I'm interested to you know see see how everyone else feels like it held up. So I guess we can jump right in and start talking about the movie. And I think we're going to I think we're going to kind of go act by act and starting with act one, which is we're kind of introduced to the world. We're introduced to some of the characters. We're introduced to some of the aliens. Uh, we're kind of thrown headfirst into this weird world. I think that the the biggest thing for me was like also putting in context, especially if you're watching this movie now when science fiction is cool and everyone goes to watch, you know, Star Wars or Marvel movies. And it's kind of like a cool thing. But 
I feel like back in the 90s, like science fiction wasn't really that cool, right? Like the, the, this year, uh, 1997 was the year that like the other big science fiction movie that came out that year was the 20th anniversary special edition Star Wars, which I mean, yeah. did, did well. I mean, it actually did better than this movie, but still it wasn't like the thing that all the cool kids were seeing. It wasn't the thing that everyone was watching. Yeah. So it's kind of it's kind of interesting that this film, I don't know, and we'll we'll get into it when we talk about all the design and all that, but this is like a very stylish kind of sexy science fiction that honestly is probably more mainstream now, but at the time it was kind of like yeah, surprising to see this on screen. To me it, it yeah. kind of has some anime elements too and I'm not sure exactly where anime was at that time, but I I feel like it was still kind of an underground thing that people would trade tapes back and forth, but it wasn't part of the, you know, the zeitgeist yet. <laughs> I just wanted to throw that word in there, possibly inappropriately. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, let's jump into the movie. And I mean, the first scene, we're kind of introduced to this world in, I guess, kind of a flashback. And I don't know, like, I, I, I love this. I love the first scene. I remember, like I said, I remember very vividly watching this film for the first time. And I love how the first scene is just so moody and you get that, that just space shot and the music, that very like almost guttural music. It almost sounds like almost the music of the spheres. It's that like very like elemental, no pun intended music. Mm. And, and then you get the, the, the spaceship coming in. I don't know. I, I love this. I'm also going to go ahead. We'll, we'll talk a lot about the people behind the scenes up front. I'm going to mention and I'm probably going to mention him repeatedly, but Eric Serra's score for this, I, I just, mm. I love it so much there. It's amazing how varied it is. He goes through like so many different genres in this and also another integral part of kind of my teenage years, because I got this on CD and listened to it probably 50 times straight through. So did you, did you try to get your friends? <laughs> I use the word <laughs> in, in uh, high school to buy the soundtrack too. Uh, no, I don't think I went that far. I think oh, I understood. I, th I think I understood the extent of of my love of this film versus, uh, you know, the what a normal peop a normal person uh, would see. So, listen to this. It's Mr. Yeah, Zorg's theme. Okay, dude. <laughs> <laughs> but listen, I mean, Zach, you were talking about how varied the score was, and that was that's something that really hit me with it. Which, but the thing is, it doesn't feel it doesn't feel disconnected, even though you know some scores are are very thematically connected and, and stylistically very similar throughout with various, And this, yeah, it's all over the place. You have, you have, like you said, there's very ethereal things and you have just things that even you, like at one point I looked at, at my wife and said, was that a wolf howl that I heard just like show yes. up in the middle of the, yeah. And it, it just, it's, they're so varied, but they fit perfectly with the, the scenes that are going on. And yeah, it's, it's pretty spectacular. I, Really well done. I mean, yeah, I, I think this is the only film I can think of that has both opera and reggae in the score. So yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, I, I also say the the <laughs> and I'm sorry, I'm talking about my childhood a lot tonight. And, but... and I assume the soundtrack also had Beastie Boys on it, right? Because that was the, <laughs> the closing song was from the Beastie Boys. Wait, wait did you, you watch the all the way to the end of the credits? They closed it out with uh, Beastie Boys. Did, did, oh, did, wait, don't you feel bad now that Alan is like waking you up to something you were unaware of? <laughs> wait, the Beastie Boys was on the on the soundtrack? Or Alan? Okay, I don't know. I don't movie. know about the soundtrack. I, I, I think you watched I just, the wrong movie. 
Yeah. No, I mean it the the very last song at the end of the credits is what you want by the Beastie Boys. I thought it was very weird too, but uh, I think you watched the wrong movie, Alex. Oh, he's saying uh, this with a lot of confidence. I'm, I'm tending no, to believe it. Yeah, I mean, I, I just watched this last night. The last thing I saw or heard was the Beastie Boys. The, the last, the because the, the, the credit song is actually the one thing I don't like, which is, uh, a, it's also a song by Eric Serra called Little Light of Love, which I always skipped on the soundtrack. I don't hate it quite as much, but as a as a kid, I was like, eh, that kind of, that's not great. <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. Maybe the package top you grabbed, Alan, had like something uh, stuck in there. Well, it's just like a Chinese DVD that... <laughs> uh, hey, maybe, I mean, maybe somebody added it. And may, I mean, maybe that was something from like the, I, I don't know. But yeah, on, on, on my version that I watched last night, as the credits are going off, it closes out with Beastie Boys. I say it was right before the stinger with Gilbert Godfrey that comes on. <laughs> <laughs> was this a, was this a, like a disc that you were watching, Alan? No, this was this was streaming online. Okay, okay. Well, yeah, it sounds like someone did a fan edit there. Uh, but please, <laughs> maybe please they did. Um, please link me that. I mean, I mean, the Beastie Boys song. I, I just looked it up. It was released in '92, so. I mean, it was out when the movie oh, came yeah, out. But... I don't know. Maybe you didn't stay in the theater long enough. I am see, I um... am very interested now. Please link me. And I've, <laughs> I've just looked it up, and I see no mention of the Beastie Voice anywhere in relation oh, okay. to well, this that's movie. All right, all right. I'm going to have to play it again and like and, and record it for you. Paul, you keep yeah. making Gilbert yeah. Gottfried jokes, but if they ever remake this, you know he's going to play the Chris Tucker role. Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh gosh! <laughs> Anyways, uh, so yeah, first scene. Um, let's talk about. I think the real star of this movie, Luke Perry. What, wasn't he a big star this time, or, or not? That's what I was gonna say. I, I, get my, I think so, right? My decades confused. Let poor Paul. What do you want to say, Paul? Jesus Christ! I was saying yes. That's exactly the point I was gonna make, Alan. So thank you. Yes, I was saying <laughs> he he was a rather, he was a rather big star at this point. And it was kind of neat that he only had like what. He had less lines than Mel Gibson had in in uh, you know Road Warrior or or yeah. uh, you know so it was yeah. he had, yeah, what, text like me what you want to say next and I'll say it. <laughs> <laughs> no, so so yeah, for for those of you who weren't around in the '90s, uh, I mean this was at I mean this was still during Beverly Hills 90210. This was that I mean that was still on the air. It's it always perplexed me that he yeah he gets like top billing. He's the end Luke Perry, which. I, I guess he was a big enough star to get that billing. I don't know. It's kind of weird. I I, I I I mean, I like him in the movie. I, I'm not trying to knock him at all. It's just like, did they think that he was going to be a box office draw? Is that why they I put wonder him if in he it? was like, I wonder if it was one of those things where to get the production money, he had to promise to put Luke Perry in the movie and give him a, <laughs> you know, that does happen where they make deals. That's in the fullness of time seemed kind of borderline insane. But at the time, probably was a good idea, you know. Well, do you remember when, what was it, The Mummy, The Scorpion King came out? And they were like, The Rock, The Rock, The Rock. And he was in the movie for like three seconds, and the rest of it was CGI rock. Oh, God. And the worst CGI ever. I've got PTSD from that. Yeah. Although although that was a very (laughs) intentional move because they already planned like a spinoff with him and everything. So, right. That, like even then, like it kind of made more sense because he was a pivotal character in the movie versus the guy who's like sketching. <laughs> I don't know. I I do I do like him. I I mean I like this whole scene kind of sets up the 
like you said, Paul, like this is a serious film in some regards, but it's also like it's got some comedy in it. It's it's got some lightheartedness in it. I think that's one of the things that really has kind of helped it endure. It's that it sometimes takes itself very seriously, but very often it doesn't. But yeah, uh, also, I will mention and we because we mentioned this in the chat. And I don't want our, our listeners to think that we're like morbid or anything, but it's almost unavoidable to mention this as we are talking about all the roles and the characters in this movie. Uh, I'm pretty sure all of the adults in the scene uh, have passed away since this film was released, including Luke Perry. All the adults have passed away? Yeah, all, all three guys in, this in the scene, scene, in the, in though, the first the, scene. Not the, not the oh, whole oh, movie. Oh. No. There, were, there <laughs> yes. were quite a few that have since then, though. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah. we were we were just huh. talking about that, and that's kind of a, a sad a sad side note because what we were talking about. What did Perry die of? I mean, I, you know, now you say this, I'm remembering he did die at a ridiculously young age. He died. Yeah, he died like two years ago. Uh, yeah. Let's see. Uh, he, I think he he had a stroke. Apparently, huh. yeah, that's what he was he 52. Oh, jeez. Yeah, I know. God. Yeah. So so I don't know. Any any overall comments on this? No, it's a cool scene, and and you know what? Now I mean, maybe not at the time because that's all we had. But now that I watch it, I'm like, oh, good, practical effects. You know, as soon yes. as those aliens come lumbering off, it's like there is some poor son of a bitch stuffed into that costume, sweating his balls off. The, the people that were in there had to be uh, at least six foot, um, at least six foot to be in those costumes. And, uh, and it was funny, we were watching a trivia thing. It was like, and it took three people 20, 40 minutes to put him in. I was like, oh, come on. That's not that big a deal. It took us, what? Three people, what, four hours to make a mummy? I said, three, <laughs> yeah, three people, enough. 40 minutes was nothing. So, yeah, they had it easy. Uh, you know, they could have just had two midgets, one standing on the shoulders of the other. I mean, they you need to think outside the box sometimes, folks. But, but the, I love the designs of those. Oh, and... they're great designs. Impractical. I'm pretty sure that's a species that would have died out because <laughs> very slow well, moving. They really, well, they're, they're, they but they're, have... they're a very spiritual spirit species. Yeah, that, that spiritual's nice, but sometimes you got to catch some food or something, you know? <laughs> yeah, apparently, the spikes on their backs indicate their ranks, too, when you oh. watch it again. They have different oh. spikes, more spikes, higher So ranks. the more spikes you're born with, the higher rank you go. I can't the, say the, 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 Those are outfits. I, I took at them as they were sort of like oh. the, the yeah. Morlons from uh, Babylon 5, that that was their, yeah. their so the, suit. So the higher you go, the more spikes they shove on your back, which, I don't know, it doesn't really make your life any easier. <laughs> tears up the upholstery something awful but okay you know uh, who am I to judge yeah i mean they they came they saw they conquered they they uh they saved they did everything they could and they got taken out like bitches by a couple of ships from battlestar galactica so <laughs> well what I, I like i'm just kind of going back to the scene what i like about it is it actually sets up the stakes pretty well it, it gives you, it, it subvert, yeah, it gives you, you're right, that's that's a good point about the stakes, and, and the fact that you have this priest there, who's not a bad guy, but he is trying to kill, poison, a couple of folks who have done nothing wrong other than just be good at being archaeologists. Um, yeah, you know, he's basically, they, he a, he's, he's basically yeah. a Knight Templar. Yes, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. sometimes you, gotta, you can't make an omelet without breaking a few eggs, and you know, this is a secret so big, he's willing to do something that He's pretty sure he's going to send him straight to hell. And he believes in hell, so there you are. And yet he's going to do it anyway. And it's like, ooh, well, he must know something we don't. So, yeah, the stakes are pretty high. And um, there's evil. And they have these really important rocks. 
and and this is reminding me more and more of the Snyder Cut every th time we talk <laughs> about it, you know? Before before we started recording, uh, Bill pointed out that he has he is fresh off watching the Snyder Cut, so I'm sure he'll he'll be mentioning it a lot. It's today. fresh on my mind because you know a quarter of my day yesterday was spent yeah. watching it, so that tends <laughs> to leave a mark. Yeah. Now I do actually want to use uh, something you mentioned, Bill, as a segue because I have a, ma a raging migraine tonight, and oh, uh, my brain my br no no my brain isn't working, and I completely forgot that we skipped over uh, one of the things we always do, which is talking about the background of this film. But I'm going to use what you mentioned about practical effects as a segue to uh, take take a little side trip here and talk about how this movie got made uh, and just a little bit of the background. So, because I think that it's kind of interesting that this was made when it was in the 90s when people were still doing a lot of things in practical effects, which would now be completely digital, but it's, but they also pushed the envelope on some of the digital stuff. But it's kind of interesting because originally, so this was a film that Luc Besson, who's a piece of trash, had actually kind of come up with an idea, I think when he was like in his early teens. And this was kind of something that I think, I guess the story that he eventually wrote was something that he had like, it was essentially a daydream of his as a kid and he developed it into a story eventually. And then he got into filmmaking and he eventually, you know, actually wrote a script. So originally they were talking about making this in the early nineties. I think it was like 90, 91 that they actually kicked off some of the production and they had some artists working on stuff. And I think it's kind of actually fortuitous that this got made when it did, because I feel like if they had tried to make this film in the early nineties, and they didn't have access to some of those digital effects that kind of matured in the later 90s, I think it would have been a much different film. Yeah. Is there anything else, Renee, you're kind of, I know you take a lot of notes and you do a lot of research. Is there anything you want to talk about in the background of this film before we actually talking about the movie? Not really, other than just to say that it reads like something that was written by a horny 16-year-old. <laughs> yeah. We, we can talk about that too, but... I actually do. Uh, there's a couple of things production-wise that I thought were kind of yeah. interesting. Is that uh, the didn't the production team have a couple of, of really well-known comic sci-fi comic artists in there? I know what like Mobius. Yeah. Is that yeah. what's his name? I've always kind of wondered. Is it what's Mobius that? or Mebus? Mobius. I, always or Mebus I, or... I think I like as a Mo... well. I guess I always pronounce it Mobius as if it was the Mobius strip, but I don't know if it's yeah. actually spelled the same way. Okay. Um, but I, I horrible mangle crap like at any time yeah well, but anyway his real name is his real name is apparently jean gerard which i never actually knew i always just knew him as mobius oh i totally yeah. go for mobius too yeah yeah <laughs> so i mean i thought that was really kind of interesting the other thing in terms of design wise and i think we'll touch on this later and, and goes back to the horny 14 year old is the the costume designs were uh jean paul goyer and so i mean you have like a you know a high-end designer doing you know as as like one of the and we were watching a, the trivia track on the Blu-ray we had, because that was the only extra they had. It was such garbage. Uh, but it was like, oh, and he's the one who designed uh, Madonna's um, pyramid bras. And I'm like, whoa. But anyway, yeah, so I mean, <laughs> the fact that the the the, the costumes, which are, are really pretty amazing, are were done by like a high-end fashion designer is actually pretty cool. Um, which I thought was interesting. But those are just kind of two things production-wise. Production yeah, costumes are amazing. Great costume. And I just want to say, in fairness, uh, when he wrote this script, his obsession with 16-year-olds was perfectly normal. <sighs> Good well, Lord. who yeah. knows yeah. what age he was on then. 
No, because uh, he was because Bill was saying because he was 16 at the time. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Is is that what we're talking about? Is his obsession with 16 year olds? Yeah. Well, we, we we'll, we'll get there. <laughs> yeah, we can. From what get I've there. read, that uh, is perfectly legal. Well, I mean, do we want to just address oh, it now? Uh, I mean, is that? <laughs> I mean, do we want to just address it now and get it out of the way as well? Sure. Going yeah, back? yeah, let's let's talk about the listen. And you're right, Alan. It's you know, listen. I don't know that he's done anything. Okay, well, in his official biography, nothing there is illegal. There's some stuff that's come out, accusations that if if true, he should be in jail. You know, you know, in anticipation of an eternity in hell. But uh, but you know that remains to be that remains to be seen. Um, it's not it's not that. He he keeps going for young women. They're of age, at least in France, and and it's legal and everything. But you know he keeps ditching them for you know as soon as they reach the ripe old age of twenty one or something, he goes for another younger one. And, and didn't he like itch his wife when she was pregnant or just had a baby? I don't know. He's well, a scumbag. Well, I think, was I say I what Ray? Did you want to address? You wanna... <laughs> yeah, Ray, did you want to address this? Because I think you had the 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 more details and yeah, I do have some details. Give me the tea. Um, so you'll have to what's how do you pronounce it? is it is it my when may when i yeah your guess is as good as mine let's okay. say when the, the one who plays may the when. diva yes the the, mm. the young lady that plays the diva um she met uh luke um as <laughs> luke piece of trash besson uh <laughs> when she was 12 years old uh he was 29 they started dating when she was 15, which would have made him 32. And in when she was 16 years old, I don't know about the laws in France on this one, but when she was 16 years old, she had a baby, his Ooh. baby. Um, and she said, I, apparently it's in the DVD extras for the movie uh, Leon the Professional. Wow. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah, that the film was based on their relationship. Um, which makes sense. Um, and uh, yes, she was 20 years old when they were filming The Fifth Element, which I believe uh, Mila was as well. Although, honestly, at the time they were filming, they were probably 19. Um, and he totally dumped his wife with their three-year-old baby for Mila. Oh. Yay! It's the trash! Not to mention yeah. grooming a 12-year-old. and Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's the thing. Else. People focus on the wrong thing. They're like, oh, it's so disgusting, the 17-year gap. It's like... That's not the problem. The problem wasn't that it was a 17-year gap. It's that when you subtract 17 from his age, you get 12. Yeah. That's the problem right there. Yeah, he's not a very nice guy. And you can say, well, it was things were different back then. And it's true. Things were no, different back different. then. You could date a 12-year-old and nobody knew about it on the internet because they didn't yeah. have things like that. But uh, But now it all comes out in the wash. I so feel like they, during the, my entire lifetime, that's never been times were never different. Oh, it's it's never been legit, but it's you've been able to get away with it because they, you know, we didn't have social media to advertise all the bad things that people do. You know, it's amazing how long people get away with it. It's like people think I know I'm going off on a tangent here. People think like, oh, they just discovered Bill Cosby was a scumbag. It's like mm -mm, very very well known truth in Hollywood. And it's just that it was the right guy at the right time making the right joke that got on the right YouTube channel, and suddenly everyone knew it. And that—that's the thing. Everyone in Hollywood already knew what what was okay mm. about it is that we, the public, did not know. And once we did, suddenly there were changes, and suddenly everyone in Hollywood was like, "Oh, wow! Someone should have done something." It, yeah, yes, everyone in Hollywood, you should have done something. Yeah, I'm convinced they all really do eat babies out there. Uh, you know, it's it's not the craziest Wait. theory. 
Well, another real con neat connection with this, and I think I'd mentioned this to Renee in the chat, is that, um, you know, Charlie Chaplin, we look back at Charlie Chaplin, he married, what, his, like, 13-year-old cousin or something? And guess who played her while she was underage? Mila in, in Chaplin. Yep, Mila yep. Jovovich. And no. she was, what? Wow. And yeah. she was what? wasn't she, like, 15, and she did a nude scene with... with uh, in Return yeah. of the Blue Lagoon? Yes. No, in... in uh, oh, um, in Chaplin? Chaplin, yeah. Oh, Chaplin too? Oh, oh huh. bless her heart. Yeah. God. So, that poor girl. Oh I hope she. I hope she's had therapy. Anyway. So, yeah. Anyway. So enough of that. Yes. Yeah. Let's get back to that. this fun movie. I say you all are gonna have to talk me down after this. <laughs> I say. I say. Normally, we're not. We are not the most judgmental group in the world. But uh, if if I do refer to to Luc Besson as a piece of garbage in this in this podcast, uh, you know, <laughs> that's that's the reasoning behind it. So, um, and you know, if you hear this, uh, Mr. Besson, uh, you know, you deserve it. Uh, yeah, love yeah. this movie. Yeah. Hate you. Come at me. But bro. if you do want to come interview, have you interview us. We can do. We can do that too, though. Oh yeah, we definitely, definitely be be down to interview you. Oh about... yeah, listen. If we if we've wronged you, sir, feel free to come on here <laughs> and uh, tell us why. Hey, yeah. Well, guess what? There is there is one actor I want to interview to ask a question about this movie, but we'll get to that in a little bit. So yeah, uh -oh. it's apparently it was Bruce, actually Bruce Willis and Mel Gibson were being kind of thought of for the lead role back in the early nineties. Mm -hmm. Uh, which is kind of interesting that he, I guess, Bruce Willis had a couple of bombs. He had just made Hudson Hawk and yeah. he was, you know, not, he was not uh, the, the draw that he may have been at one time, but then I guess after, you know, 95, when Die Hard with the Vengeance came out, he was again, kind of a box office draw. So and I think well, he was Pulp fiction is what really brought him back. That's true. Yeah. But well, but yeah, Pulp Fiction. And I, I yeah, that's, that, that, I guess that's true. Listen, I've thought... I, I, will, I will tell you something. When I went to see Pulp Fiction and Bruce Willis's name came up on the screen, there were actual groans. Oh, yeah. You know, really? and, but then but then and I, I'll tell you the exact moment when when he's in the pawn shop and he picks up the samurai sword, there were cheers. There were yeah. more a lot more cheers. Than the, yeah. And by the time it was over everyone was on this guy's side i mean it, i was watching a career be revitalized right in front of my eyes yeah it's, it's funny because i i always think of pulp fiction as revitalizing travolta's career but not necessarily willis's but yeah interesting yeah okay well hey let's let's go back to egypt 1914 where a bunch of uh morbidly obese aliens are taking a relic <laughs> out of the this this temple i think the the thing i love about this scene and i I'm going to say some stuff about this movie that sounds like I'm bad mouthing it and I'm really not, but this is just like observations I've made rewatching it as an adult, but like there's really not a lot to this movie. Like there's actually <laughs> not a lot at all, but I love the yeah. fact that like it's so well made and it's so well paced that it, I don't know. It almost tricks. It still tricks me into thinking there's more to it than there is. And I think yeah. that this scene almost helps because it almost feels like a world building scene when you really think about it, there's not really a whole lot of world built in this movie. It's more aesthetics and that's fine. But I mm -hmm. do appreciate the fact that it gives you a little glimpse into the, the kind of backstory of this world. That's a good point. And I think, you know, it, there is surprisingly little plot. And I think one of the reasons why movies that I think have tried to be the next fifth element, like Jupiter ascending and some others that I actually can't even remember their names is they're nothing but plot it just plot yeah. after plot you know the, the the description in wikipedia takes so long you're exhausted you know <laughs> you get bored even just reading it there and and this one yeah it's pretty bare bones but they they fill it up with you know goods you don't have to have 
plot twists every five minutes to keep people's interest. Actually, after a while, you lose interest when there's too much of that. It's a lot going on visually, the costumes yes. and just everything else. It's it's visually interesting. Yeah, I don't um, need to also keep track of names and places and plot. Yeah. You know? Right. And and well, let's talk about aesthetics then. Unless uh, if we don't have anything else to say about this opening scene, let's jump three three hundred years or not actually because apparently it's you know three hundred and fifty years in the future, but for some reason it says three hundred years. So whatever, we'll go with that to a a future where even the people manning spaceships are actually really fashionable. We jump to a a ship that is I I guess observing this this anomaly that turns out to be pure evil and there okay so there are there are a lot of actors in this movie that i want to just mention really quick um as we go through but I, the, the the one i really want to mention i for some reason okay i watched this movie when it came out i know i had seen some other stuff that he was in i know i was watching the x-files at the time but for some reason i literally just realized that it's john neville playing stedder in this scene Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Baron Munch has himself. Baron Munch has yeah. himself, and the well manicured man from the X Files. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's again, it's a, it's like Luke Perry. It's not a role that is in there for very long. Um, but they get somebody who has has a certain stature to do it. And uh, okay, now tell me again is is he the character who keeps shooting at the uh, evil? Yeah. Yes. And makes yeah. it bigger. Yeah. Good move. Good move. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, so, yeah, he's a general. They, they, you know, they could have they could have had anybody in that. They're like, no, no, we'll have have you know this fairly well known actor and and uh, and to to bring across this this. And if you watch it, it's neat because the just the fear in his eyes of like, oh, fuck. yeah. At the end, do we have anything bigger? They're like, no, and he's just like, well, yeah, yeah. It's cool because he literally has one trick. He shoots stuff, and yeah. and that's that's it. I, I I he's well, he's got two tricks. He either shoots things or he doesn't shoot things. Yeah, and um. You know, now that that neither of those is is effective, he's he's got nothing left. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. it's it's not like there are these are complex characters. I mean, it is it is for all intents and purposes a a comic book movie. Right. Comic book. Like it's not from a we comic all, book, we, but it's very much. You know, we all saw this coming. This is literally the opening of Star Trek: The Motion Picture, right? The Klingons see the big yeah. thing, yeah. they shoot oh, yeah, it, yeah. and <laughs> the big thing kills them. Yeah. <laughs> You're not wrong. Yeah. Yeah. This movie has a lot of things like that, a lot of little reference, you know, things you can say, that reminds me of this, that reminds me of that. It's it's not that the plot, especially the plot and everything, is terribly original. It's like got bits and pieces from a lot of things, but it's lovely to look at. And there's something to be said for style, you know? There's only so many stories in the world, but if you can tell it well and make it look nice when you tell it, eh, okay. Well, and not just the, not just the style, in terms of also the the casting. I think it's it's perfectly cast. I love, like, yeah. Even the tiny roles in this movie, oh god, yes, are are fantastic, <laughs> and 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 it kind of ties in with the style. They do something to the, I don't know if the, it's the way the makeup or the costume is done, but they give, like especially the the a lot of the characters are have this quirky look to them. But you couldn't even put my finger on why look funky, but there's something they do. Oh my god. Isn't it? I mean, is am I well? I think, I think it's because there's people that are attractive, but they're not that conventionally attractive. Yeah, okay. yeah. Very that, good, yeah. very good, Renee. And that, and that, I wish, I wish that more filmmakers would do that. 
No well, joke. No. Like you think about music today, right? Like music back in the day when people didn't have to be pretty was so mm-hmm. much better. Right. Oh, anyway. Yeah, so there, there are a lot of a lot of actors in this movie with bad skin conditions, which is uh, which is kind of nice to see too. So, well, this is also a future where I mean, yeah, sure, there are some unattractive people, but apparently, like eighty percent of the humans in the world are like supermodels or models yeah. of some sort. Yeah, <laughs> which is very often, literally, because a lot of the people who are cast in this movie, I mean, Mila Jovovich herself was yeah. a model for, to, to begin with. Um, but yeah, John Neville, I, I love him. I mean, obviously, like you said, Paul, really small role. Um, also, sadly, passed away in 2011. I did not connect him with uh, the character Next Files, which was like yeah. who, uh, the guy you mentioned yesterday who was also in. Oh, great story that I'm telling. Um, was he an alien? <laughs> Aliens, rather? We'll, we'll get oh, to the yeah. We'll, yeah, we'll get to him. Yeah. 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 Um. But hey, speaking, uh, Paul, you mentioned stature, and uh, speaking of stature, uh, you know who Stedert's on the uh, telephone with, uh, Tom Lister Jr. as the president. Yeah, Tiny Lister. Mm. Tiny, Tiny Lister. Lister. Yeah. Who, who also Zeus. passed away? Who also passed away? Sadly, yeah. uh, actually, just just the end of last Recently, year. Recently, yeah. 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 But uh, what a fun role for him too, though. I mean, I, it I, is. I love, it is. I love just his reactions in it, and he he. He he does again. He brings like this gravitas, these very serious moments, and then there's these very goofy moments, especially like right at the very end and such. There's some very goofy moments, and his reactions to those are are so much fun. Um, I absolutely love again. I, I love the cast again. He's he's perfect in that role, as far as I'm concerned. He's fun. He's fun in this. I, I'll always love him because you know I'm a I'm a pro wrestling fan, and any list of the top ten worst pro wrestlers ever has to include Tiny Lister. Um, <laughs> Because Vince McMahon discovered it was a whole lot easier to take his pro wrestlers and turn them into actors than to take an actor and turn them into a pro wrestler. It seems like it should be able to go both ways. It totally doesn't. That's great. But yeah, yeah, those, those are amazing matches to watch. But yeah, he, <laughs> he's fun in this. He's fun. Yeah, now, now here's my question, and I don't know why this never occurred to me, but what is the why is the president sitting in this room in new york full of like scientists and priests isn't it because nice the, balance. the big things coming to like the is end of the just, world is nigh well, yeah but why why is is yeah. this just is this like the what is the white house in the future is has it moved to new york <laughs> or, or maybe it's a, it's sure. a command center so it's they, they need to yeah. be at the command center and so yeah yeah and and as far as scientists and priests look if, if i'm the president they say there's a giant thing coming to us from space i'm like get me a bunch of scientists and then they say oh by the way it's really evil get me a bunch of priests i mean you know you gotta you gotta cover everything there <laughs> right makes perfect sense. <laughs> Just saying. in new york but I mean, Fair also, enough. what it's twenty two sixty three. I mean, I don't know. Who knows if? Oh, uh, you know, yeah. Washington be... D.C. was hit by a. Tsunami I mean, considering yeah. <laughs> they might have some problems. That well, God, I'd move. I'd move out of there now if I were the president. <laughs> no speaking of speaking of priests that know a thing or two about evil, uh, I also <laughs> I, I want to mention probably. Oh man, I don't I don't know if I should, I can say he's my favorite actor in this movie just because of the other actors in this movie, but I you know, I think I'm going to say it. I think I think if I have to choose a single actor, a single character, I I actually have to go with Ian Holm as Cornelius. I oh, yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think this was the first movie I ever saw Ian Holm in who but again, we have to mention really? sadly passed away last year. Yeah. I think this was the first time I ever saw him 
and this was kind of I, I you know I hadn't seen Alien yet because I wasn't uh, allowed to. I hadn't seen stuff like Brazil. I th- this was this was really like the 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 film actually him and Gary Oldman. I think it, this was kind of the film that was kind of my frame of reference for everything else that came after. Yeah. But he's he's so good because he does bring like whereas some of the other characters like you know Lister is there. I mean he's I, I don't want to say he's not a serious actor, but he does have a lot of kind of you know comical elements to 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 his 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 uh his portrayal whereas like ian holm is definitely like there to be kind of like the straight man and he's very serious but he just oh my god he brings such a presence to the screen that i miss so much serious but he does have some really funny comedic bits as well just his reactions a lot of time his Mm -hmm. his reactions when he first realizes that she's the you know the 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 being when he when he the whenever she would uh, start changing his cl- her clothes and he's like turns around he's like just like all nervous and even when he's like pops out of the uh, when he's a stowaway on board the ship he has a lot of, of funny little comedic bits as well in addition to bring that seriousness that that he needs because he is trying to defend the world or the universe or whatever with it mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess that is true. I, I guess uh, I, I actually there's one there's one scene that we'll get to at the end that it's maybe the funniest just exchange of looks in the entire movie that, that he's involved with. But yeah, so so we're kind of introduced to this world. I mean, this the one thing I'll say about this movie, I mean, it is two hours long, but it does seem to clip along at such a good pace. And I think, Bill, what you said about this, this movie doesn't try to cram too much plot into the 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 story which no i mean i that sounds like a bad thing but honestly i think it's to the benefit of the film because everything that's happening there are there are very few like exposition dumps everything that's happening is moving the story along everything that's happening is like getting us to the next scene and right. from a from a screenwriting standpoint this is actually a very well made film it is and you know I'm grateful. I'm grateful that we don't have what would probably happen if they did the remake, where Cornelius suddenly turns evil. Oh, he was evil all along. I mean, I'm I'm really getting yeah. tired of the trope of uh, one of the characters turns out they were the hands behind the scene the whole time and blah blah blah. I, I think it would he be got, David. Got... It'd be David. His oh, yeah, complex in this film. Yeah. I mean, this is this is yeah. Again, oh totally, the, totally. Know. We'd have they'd have they'd have like a Zorg at their mercy, and it's like here, David point this gun at him while I go you know, <laughs> save the world. And then Dave suddenly like points the gun. It's like, oh, it was you all along. Yeah. I mean, yeah, uh, uh, you know, but it's good. Ian Holm, Ian Holm is a trip. And and the way he's dressed, I just kept thinking, you know, if, if Alec Guinness had turned him down, he could have been Ben Kenobi. Totally could have pulled that off. He's just, he's a fun character with a lot. And then you, and then you got Garrett. Well, we'll get to him later. Yeah, yeah. Now I will say, so Luc Besson obviously wrote the script for this. It was based on a story that he had been kind of working on for years. But the other co-writer credited on this film is Robert Mark Kamen, who wrote the original uh, Karate Kid trilogy. So, really, um, yeah. Huh. He's he hasn't. I don't think he's wrote a lot of great stuff since this. So the like after this, kind of like in the early two thousands. Uh, Luke Besson got involved in producing a lot of like me- mostly mediocre action films 
Uh, there are a couple of good ones in there, but they're mostly kind of mediocre or trash. Um, he did, uh, Robert Mark Heyman did go on to write Taken. So I guess he well, has that going for him. So, <laughs> so he's got, so he basically sleeps in a swimming pool of dollar bills right <laughs> yes, now. Yes, yes. But then he also wrote wrote Taken 2 and Taken 3, which are, which are some of the laziest films I've ever seen. So, uh, Yeah, what's your point? If, if someone <laughs> offered me that kind of money and said, Bill, would you write Taken 5? It's like, yeah, sure, Taken 5. Take her already. At this point, your uh, daughter is clearly trying to run away from home. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, I want to go back to something you said, Zach, in terms of about the pacing of this film. It's not just the way it's written, it's the editing is is fantastic. And they do some really fun cross-cutting, especially in, in some dialogue, uh, some bits of dialogue. We have two sets of characters, and and like you'll have Zork oh, yeah. question some, say something, or you'll have, you'll have Zork say something, and then you have another, you'll have, it, you know, in a different area, a different scene, but it's the same scene, they cross-cut to, like, in home entering. Obviously, another character had asked the same question, and they switch back and go back and forth. And there's some really, I hadn't noticed it before, but really fun uh, cross-cutting in that editing. But also, that helps with the pacing, because it just slams this movie along. It just, even though it's two hours, like you said, it's just, it's just going full speed ahead. I just, I'd like to point out the editor is uh, Sylvie Landra, who, and as is often the case, a female editor. Um who did a lot? Who also did Leon and The Messenger? Oh, so, wow, so she, she did a lot. She did she a lot of his stuff. Now she also did Catwoman <laughs> Woman. And, and, and a few. Now listen, uh, an editor, an editor can oh, save a movie, but they're they can't. They're not miracle workers, right? Yeah, I bet she's yeah. got some good stories to tell. We will. Hold I that. love the editing in this. I love that cross. Yeah, it's very good. It's she's so much. She probably has a lot of receipts. Yeah, it's actually funny you mentioned that because I watching this as a as a, you know, a teenager and I was there were a lot of things that I, I could immediately identify that I loved about it. But I don't think I ever picked up on the fact that it's so well edited and paced. And like you said, a lot of the stuff I remembered, like the scenes I remembered, but I didn't remember how they cross cut it, like the scene where Zorg is. I, I think it's the scene where he's he's with the the the. Uh, uh, the Mangalores, and he realizes that the, the stones aren't there, and it cuts to Lulu laughing. Um, lots of things like that that I, I definitely didn't really register until I watched, went back and watched it this time. I was like, man, especially sure. after we we just got done talking about and thinking about so much uh, uh, Fury Road, which is so well ed edited and paced, mm -hmm. and it's like that was kind of fresh in my mind. So, well, when a movie's really well edited, a lot of times you don't, you don't notice the editing yeah. unless, unless like you know, like Paul, you're looking for it, and and then you right. can become aware of just how well it's done. I so, doubt yeah, some of that editing. I doubt some of that editing editing came across in the editing at editing time, though. I mean, that looked like that looked scripted to me. Oh yeah, yeah. I think that was. I think the, the, especially those crosscuts were definitely planned out. Um, yeah. But the editing in general, as well, I think is is really well done as well. But I mean, the editor has to make that take you know make that real. So yeah, you're right. I think it was planned out. Alan, I'm sure. Right. Although maybe it wasn't, and that would be a a, a great editing uh, feat. Oh, uh, yeah, it could be. You never know. Like, could yeah. be an addition. Hey, I saw you did this dialogue. You did this. Wouldn't it be cool if we if we put that together as opposed to uh, mm -hmm. you know more linear. So we were talking. We were talking about. You mentioned Zorg. Do we want to jump to him, or do we want to? Uh, well, well, I think I think first uh, we're we're yeah. We're, sorry, we're kind of jumping around. But if if we're going in in linear fashion, then we actually need to talk about. Uh, I guess you could argue he's the protagonist of this film, although maybe that's debatable. But uh, I think we need to talk about Mr. Corbin Dallas first. 
Um, I, who, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Renee, do you have something? Well, I was going to say, I think he most certainly is the protagonist of this film, and mm -hmm. I will explain that to you uh, more later. Um, yes. <laughs> okay. I, oh. Yeah. I, but, you know, I will tell you, I, I really, I like Bruce Willis. I think, you know, mm -hmm. he's always been fun, and I enjoyed him. So I was kind of happy to see him in this role. And, you know, he's always good for kind of comedic action dude. Yeah, and I think he's a better choice than Mel Gibson would have been for this role. I mean, I like oh Mel my Gibson God, a yes. lot. But Bruce Willis has that, I mean, one of his gifts is that he has that every man who can still, when he needs to, do super heroic stuff. He's got that vibe. It's believable that this guy drives a space cab and yeah. has, a, has a lot of points on his insurance. And, and uh, yeah, so, you know, it, it, it's, it's a better fit, I think, than, than the idea that Mel Gibson is Mel Gibson in the future and he's just a schlubby cab driver. You know? But the thing is, Corbin Ellis isn't just a schlubby cab driver. That scene, you know, no, when, you, when you first watch the scene, they throw so much information at you in the first time yeah. you see it, it's just information overload. When you go back and watch it again, you can pick out all the information. He's only been a cab driver for six months. Prior to that, he was a highly decorated special ops, you know, um, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Paul, he's just though. trying to plant a seed for something that I'm going to say later, but sure. Okay, Paul, go ahead. But that's true. I mean, I'm sorry. That's, I mean, I was just jumping ahead. I know. But it, it is somewhere I noticed it in the scene, though, was the, just the amount of information that's thrown yeah. in. And he is a good cat dad. So, yes, yes. Yeah, and also, yeah. one, one of the bits of information that we Save caught, that we caught, I want to throw it to somebody else, either uh, Renee or Zach, because they're the ones who caught it. Um, was what date does this movie take place? Oh, that not would the be year, sad. but what's the day? <laughs> Are you asking Zach? Zach, yeah, yeah. Zach, you're the one who threw it. Up. I okay. thought about it, that when I was watching the movie. It, was, too. it takes place on March 18, which yeah. was right, but it takes oh. place on March 18th, yesterday. That, yesterday, it was yesterday. And the reason why it's March 18th is because that is Luke Besson's birthday. He turned 61 yesterday. So we're recording. This we on, will not be wishing him a happy birthday. Yeah. No, we but we're recording this on March 19th. Which happens to be Bruce Willis's. Ooh, I, I think. I think he's still. He, he. Nothing horrible has come out about him, right? We can still wish him a happy yet, birthday. Yeah. Yeah. As far as I know. So. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. anyway, this is Bruce Willis. We'd like to wish Mr. Bruce Willis a happy 66th birthday. Yeah. Yeah. Happy birthday. Either, most Actually, birthday. by the time anybody hears this, he'll already be 66. Exactly. But we will. Yeah. Most yeah, of us watch you know. this. <laughs> it's the thought that counts. We watched yeah. this last night, and we're like, "Wait a second! Holy shit! We're watching it on the date of you know." Of, of of the movie, which I thought was cool. And you knew Bruce Willis's birthday how? Um, be, because I, I looked it up. I think because I, I think oh, I, okay. I think I, 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 on his I, I, yeah. You know, it's too bad you didn't go to high school with uh, Zach back in the day because I think you guys would have been good friends. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, you have anyway, no idea. I thought that was kind of a neat neat. Uh... Now the other thing I love about this scene, speaking of Mel Gibson. There was a, a gag that we mentioned in Beyond Thunderdome, the whole like unloading a bunch of weapons gag. <laughs> he kind of reverses the gag in this movie because when and let's also uh, who who was it that was mentioning the uh, the 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 mugger? Was that you, Renee? No, that was that was me because that was yeah. you. Okay, my, my wife absolutely loves him. Yes, <laughs> of course. But but tell us tell us what you realized about his other credits. Well, he's 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 a director as well. So he directed, he directed Gothica, and then what else did he direct? I can't remember. You pulled it up. 
Well, um, so so he has, and I, I'm sure I'm going to pronounce it wrong. He 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 did one film that was actually pretty well acclaimed called, I think it's Lahane. Well, his name is hmm. Matthew Matthew Kasovitz. Yes, yeah. Matthew yeah. But uh, but yeah, no, he he also yeah he directed that. I think I think that was like a a really uh, well received movie. But yeah, he he also did Gothica. He did the Crimson Rivers and Babylon A.D. as well, which uh, are uh, possibly notable for uh, the fact that they were also shot by, and I'm probably, we haven't mentioned his name yet, I'm probably going to pronounce it wrong. I apologize to the French, every single one of you. I think it's Terry. Is it T-H-I-E-R-R-Y? Is that Terry? I believe so. Terry Arbogast, who shot The Fifth Element. So he actually Uh directed a couple movies and worked with him as well, which I guess we can also real quick talk about because I know we're kind of going back and forth here, but as as we mention these things, I have to to bring them up so I can Mm -hmm. actually talk about them but uh so terry arbogast who had been working with luke Besson, uh he, he had also shot leon the professional he also shot nikita and yeah. he would also go on to shoot a lot of his other movies as he descended into kind of being a very middling director he also shot valerian in the city of a thousand planets which if you want to talk about a really disappointing movie looks very pretty i mean oh, it's very, well very, shot. Pretty movie. very pretty you movie. know but that's literally the only reason to see it i heard about that movie and i was like finally this is the spiritual successor to the fifth element and uh definitely was not but anyways mm-hmm. um so yeah matthew uh matthew Kasovitz, it's such a small role but like you were saying before it's like everyone every small role in this movie is so great oh he's he's hilarious and i, I swear bruce willis is cracking i mean the character is, oh, is cracking but it's yeah. gotta be bruce willis actually cracking up himself I am. Uh, I've always wondered if that was actually if that was scripted or if that was just him. Like, yeah, be. yeah. Because he's just, he's just, just so. My wife was like, "What did what did they tell? How did they tell him to act? What did they say? <laughs> like, what was his direction in this?" And I was like, uh, "Act like you're tweaked out of your mind." I, just really, I can think. So I have a funny. You know, story. He also he also shot uh, Catwoman. That movie took a lot of good people down with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Catwoman had the same editor and director as this movie, which is insane. Mm. No, I, I have, I had, a, I have kind of a funny story. So obviously, when you watch this movie now, you're, you're like, okay, yeah, this guy's tweaking. He's, he's just like out of his mind on drugs, and he's obviously robbing Bruce Willis to go buy more drugs. I was a very innocent child, and that did not occur <laughs> to me when I was 14. So you know how he does that little dance in the hallway, like after he takes his gun. Oh no, yeah. the pee pee dance. Yes, what I was thinking, he's been standing. He's been standing here all night waiting to rob Bruce Willis, and he really needs to pee. I'll take that. I think I think that's, okay. that's my new headcanon for that character. He's not really tweaking. He just has to pee really bad. So yeah. hey, I, I actually I actually just thought of. So I, I said that there was there was another actor I wanted to interview. I also want to interview Matthew Kasovitz at some point and ask him what his motivation was when he was playing the mugger in this film. Like I had to pee really bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and going back just a little bit, Renee, we actually forgot to talk about another thing, another mysterious element of this film, no pun intended. Bruce Willis in the beginning of this scene is talking to, I believe his former army buddy finger on the phone mm-hmm. who is uncredited in this film. Mm-hmm. Yes. That was there, a prompt. Thank you. There are multiple <laughs> theories <laughs> on the internet. Uh, that it could be Vin Diesel. Uh, there's Ooh. another theory. Now, this guy, what was his name? Nick Chinlick? Forgive me if I have that butchered. Um, he was, I watched, uh, oh, 
Nick Cage. What was the Air Force? What was the movie with the plane? Con Air. Con Air. Thank yeah. you. He was in that movie. And so I watched a clip of it. It sounded exactly like him. And apparently mm -hmm. he was in a movie with Bruce Willis. Um, oh, what's his name? I think it was Nick Chinlick. Hold on. Chinlick? Chinland? Chinland? Is that it? Nick Chinland. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to look that up as we're talking because yeah. yeah, I, 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 after you met, I had never heard this before. The thing about Vin Diesel and I don't think I ever actually realized that th this role, the, the void credited. So when I, I was like, okay, I looked it up and him actually confirming it or anyone was who was Vin involved Diesel, in the film. Actually was Vin Diesel a big deal in 1997? No, 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 no one knew who he was. There's yeah. no point in not yeah. crediting someone unless it's like I'm a big actor and I'm just doing this voice for my my friend and uh, yeah. I don't want to have any credit. If you're if you're a hungry actor, it's like damn well you're going to give me credit. I'm in the movie. At least my voice is right because it, I think it was it was almost like a cameo kind of voice. And yeah, it, yeah. Like yeah. Me, frankly, but they were in Tears oh. of the Sun. No, wait, okay, that would have been afterwards. Never yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so I actually now that now that I'm looking at him, I know exactly who this guy is. And and incidentally, I I know him. I always recognize him from the Chronicles of Riddick, where he plays Tombs, the bounty hunter. Um, uh. which is that was kind of funny. But um, but yeah. So <laughs> so I I thought that was kind of interesting. It's it's repeated all over the internet. You see, you, like some of these yeah, big it must movies. Must be true things. then. Yeah, right, right. It must be true. There, there are some movie sites like that, like will say, like, here are ten things you didn't know about the Fifth Element, and they, they say this as a fact, but they don't cite any source right. for it. So, yeah. Anyways, the my the what I'm trying to get to here is if anyone knows Vin Diesel and can reach out to him, we'd love to get him on the pod to confirm or deny this. Mm -hmm. uh, this, this possibly theory. on the same podcast with Luke Besson, because I think that would be a oh, real crowd pleaser. <laughs> well, apparently, <laughs> another another theory is that it's Tone Luke. So, and and oh, wow. and if Tone Luke would like to get on our podcast. I'm not oh, yeah, honestly, Nick, if, if Nick Chenlin wants to get on our podcast as well, because yeah, I yeah. actually I love him because, yeah, I love him in, exactly. in, in Chronicles of Riddick. Maybe maybe I missed it. But did you ever actually get to the point? Because it's a good one about <laughs> the, the trope, the, the, you know, having the guns, all the guns on you that they kind of reversed it with that. Scene. Yeah, oh, no, no. That, that was a that was a that was a throwaway. That was a throwaway uh, reference to that. But yeah, I, I, I think it's funny because he. <laughs> That's the fact that he gets robbed all the time, that he has this huge pull down like accessory where he's just putting all of these weapons in there. It's pretty funny. Yeah. Or at least that's what I assume. I assume it's supposed to be like, these are not Bruce Willis's guns. These are the guns that he's taken from all the people who have tried to rob him. Yeah, yeah. That's what I look like to me. So, Which is yeah, so that's, that's kind of a funny, a funny subversion of the, the badass hero unloading all of his guns. Like he's just taking mm -hmm. guns from people and storing them away safely where they can't hurt anyone. Now I think we're we're missing like one of the most important characters in the scene. Uh oh. Oh God, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. Every time, somehow, somehow, I think they filmed these scenes in London. I think I think because uh, Luc Besson wanted to film in France, he had to shoot in London instead. Somehow, some like animal casting director was given the order. Okay, we we need a cat, but not just any cat. We need a cat that looks like it's on speed. And possibly has some sort of mental disorder. Go. <laughs> and they got the derpiest looking cat I had ever seen in my life. Oh. I every time. Cross, cross eyed cats. Like slightly, great. they're like slightly cross eyed, just a little. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 My so friend a cat had a cross eyed cat. that's on speed and has mental issues, you could have just stopped at a cat. Like a cat. <laughs> Bill, Bill's like, I have six of those. Yeah. I uh, know. A seven. I know of which. Oh, I seven. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> Last I checked, anyway. Oh. So, 
Oh, good Lord. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, everyone makes fun of me, but Paul is, you know, has gone from zero to eight in record set at times. He's been recycling out, though. Only four of them are permanent residents. Yeah, but the funny thing is, Bill, and, and the, 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 the listeners don't know this because I usually edit it out, but at least once an episode, like a cat attacks you or something and we get to hear it for like five yes. minutes. So that's, that's why we laugh at you. That is true. Well, again, we don't, there, there isn't much world building, but this there is, I think, in this in terms of the, the compactness, how everything slides into something else. How everything's kind of just you know, dirty. I don't know if it's dirty, but just kind of very worn down. Um, yeah, and, like it's a shitty apartment for him to be living in. Yeah, it's more—it's really more like a jail cell than. Right. It is economy, and and I I do lo love though that even if it's not it's not world building, but there is foreshadowing constantly because in this scene, you know, the cat's watching TV and they're talking about the Gemini Crockett contest, and obviously that comes back up shortly. But I love the fact that everything, all these little things, are kind of foreshadowed and and mentioned so that. When they come up, they don't seem like oh, just a random you know plot twist. Like okay, they've they were kind of hinting at this earlier. Yeah, I mean the fact he's got he's trying to smoking, so he has four cigarettes and he only has four yeah. matches, and he goes yes. through three of them. And and mm -hmm. my wife pointed out, she's like, "Do you look at a cigarette? It looks like it's about yes, it's about eighty percent filter yes. and twenty yes. percent actual That's cigarette." Funny. I thought that was hysterical when I realized that. I was like, is he smoking it backwards yeah. or like oh no no? It's just I thought it was backwards too, but now it kind of makes sense because there was that whole stop smoke, like I will quit smoking robot thing. Yeah. No, so Paul, say, same. I've watched this movie like 20 times and that, I, I, granted, I, I was, when I was younger and I probably didn't, like, I, you know, I'd never smoked and I, you know, I still haven't smoked, but I, I didn't know what, how cigarettes work. So I was like, okay, that's, <laughs> but, but now I'm like, okay, that's, yeah, that's, that's really funny. Uh, it's, so the world that he lives in, I mean, this is, you know, your typical, atypical science fiction world where it's a mix of really spectacular futuristic stuff and things that are not even used today so you know we're in the future we have flying taxi cabs and he's still using matches i don't even know anyone today who uses matches right you know, we, true we lighters decades ago but by giving him matches it limits yeah. how many times he can lay a cigarette oh. Oh. Only has four cigarettes. plus if he had a lighter then it'd be like it kind of ruined that whole ending yeah, well, because matches are cool. You know, you can strike it on your pants or on, you know, in the. Yeah, I want to see you strike a match back or something. <laughs> right. <laughs> I've never been able to do that. I saw all that crap on TV when I was little, and I got some matches, and I tried to strike them on a bunch of things. And the only thing I could strike them on, other than the thing that they give you, is I think I got them to strike when I rubbed them against some concrete one time. I was going to say in the driveway. Yeah. You can get <laughs> some, like, you some fire called strike kids. anywhere. Yeah. Right. Those have things a little bit of extra crap on the end. Yeah, if you walk around with the box and, and it shakes too much, it might just combust right in your pants. So it's, <laughs> you're taking a risk with those. Safety tip for all our audience out there. Don't <laughs> don't wear corduroys for God's sake. Don't sakes. wear corduroys. With just don't wear corduroys. Not, anyway, because but... not because of the mash. Not because the mash is just it's a bad look, really. You know. <laughs> Did you hear about yeah. the corduroy pillows? Oh, They're making headlines. Anyway, we can't hear you, Bill. You seem to have dropped off. Yeah, he dropped out again. Don, is this on? Hey, hey, dads appreciate it. Speaking of narrative dumps, uh, so so after this, we kind of get, and again, I never realized that this is such a thin background, such a thin exposition. But 
we do get the scene where Cornelius is explaining the concept of the evil and the fifth element to the president. Yeah. And it's, it's a, it's pretty light. It's uh there's not a whole lot to it. It's 20 seconds yeah. long. <laughs> yeah. He's like, yeah, all I need is 20, you got 20 seconds. And it's 20 yeah. seconds. It's, 20 yeah. se it's evil and you shouldn't shoot it. Cause that'll just make it mad. Yeah. And they don't listen to him and he's right. Boom. Yeah. We don't need a Which, big philosophical discussion. For some reason, I remember there being a lot more like lore here, but nope, it's just, it's not, they don't even, I don't think they even like name what it is. They don't even have a name for it. It's just like, yep, it's just evil. Yeah, no, that's, and that's it. Yeah, can, can I, I know this is jumping ahead a bit, but am I, did I miss something? Because I might have been multitasking, but the evil, <laughs> the, the evil at some point calls up Gary Oldman. <laughs> right. And, yeah. And, and tell, on the phone, Mr. as Jack, evil, as evil does. Gary Oldman, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Mr. Shadow calls him and, you know, tells him, hey, dude, what's going on? He's like, oh, everything's fine. Yeah, well, you're bleeding. And, and okay, is that the last we hear from him again? Because I, I was sort of waiting for the end, you know, for some big, oh, uh, look, it's evil. And that's how he dresses. And he says a couple of things. And, and then, you know, we, we get rid of him and all. But it's like, uh, I don't, I never really, that's it, that's, isn't it? That's the sphere. That's how we have the voice for, for, for yep. Mr. Shadow. Which is the, the thing that's calling him is the sphere, though. Yeah, yeah, but Which, does he do anything else? Like he, he flies thing. towards space and or towards the Earth and almost destroys it. Yeah, but but in, in all that time, all he thought to do was make one phone call. I mean, that's all, that's I mean, all he's he needed to do, Bill. Well, yes, you. of course, that's all he needs to do. But if I'm <laughs> evil, I'm gonna do so. I'm gonna write on the on, on the you know sky with a finger of fire or something. I'm just gonna go. Yeah. Call up. Okay, I call collect because I'm evil, but. Uh, <laughs> Well, I, I like that gag, though. They're like, there's radio waves. What's he trying to do? And the one guy goes, I yeah. don't know, trying to make a phone call? And, yeah. <laughs> and that's what it was. And actually, the, yeah. the, I don't think that's actually blood. It's, it's actually, like, black goo. And when, when, yeah. uh, when, yeah, because John Neville, when thing. John Neville is sitting there and about to get immolated yeah. by evil, his, he starts getting the black goo as well. Oh, man, listen, hey, I'll tell you something. If I go to the doctor, I'm like, hey, doctor, there's blood coming out of my ears. And they're like, oh, not, not to worry. It's black goo. I'm like, well, now I'm, I'm way more worried than I was before, in point of fact. Yeah, and that, that's kind of funny because for some reason, I always remembered it being blood. But then rewatching it, it's almost it, like this thing, being in, in proximity to this thing or having context with this thing, it's almost a manifestation of this evil. Yeah, because Gary like actually... Rudy Giuliani, you know, the, the <laughs> hair dye. Yes, oh my yeah. god, Made everything. Still. There we go. Oh, oh my god, I can't unsee it now. I can't. Oh. Hold on, guys. Uh, I'm, I'll be back in 20 minutes. I got a meme to make. Um, <laughs> oh, no. the yeah. the only other thing I want to talk about here before we move on is just uh, David's Devo hat because I love it. <laughs> it's a meme yeah. hat, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's because yeah. he's because he's like a um, uh, uh, you know. yeah, he's like a, an initiate or whatever. Initiate, yeah, that's what. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is the hat religious? See, I thought it was like a cross between like a yarmulke and a Devo hat. Well, that's what it yeah. is. That's what you're saying it's sort of you know <laughs> a future religious hat. Yeah, yeah, future yeah. Devo. Is this a good time for me to confess that I actually had a red Devo hat in college? Oh, uh, it's hey, a perfect that's, time. It's never a bad time. time. Yeah, that's yeah. not a bad thing, Bill. That that, that gets your points. I am, amazingly, I had more friends than Zach did in high school, and yet I, I had a red Devo hat. I, I, I have no explanation. Yeah, so so if there's nothing else we want to talk about, uh, we can we can move on to one of the most pivotal scenes 
which is after the Mangalores shoot down the Manashiwan ship, which, by the way, once again, I love the practical effects of the Mangalores. Mm -hmm. I love the fact that it's guys in rubber masks. Well, well apparently, because yeah. this, this is another thing that popped up in the trivia, apparently because of the design of those rubber masks and the, the motors of them, the, the actors that were in them all had to have sloping foreheads. <laughs> oh, interesting. <laughs> it's, uh, you, oh, you look, you look like a Cro-Magna man. Mangalore. Uh, <laughs> Oh, oh, boy. Now, now I hope they they make a sequel so that I can play a Mangalore. Yeah. <laughs> let's talk about the. I guess you could call it uh, not to not to get too metaphorical, but you could call it the resurrection scene. But the the creation and introduction of Lilu. They three D print her. Yeah. yeah. They actually Very efficient. 3D printed her. Very cool. Hey, can your three D printer do that? Uh, no, my three D printer can't do yeah, anything man. at this point. It's in the garage in parts. So yeah, once again, uh, another actor that I love in the scene, the kind of main technician, I, I guess I, I would have never known it unless I looked it up. I guess the character's name is Magdalbur, and he's played by uh, Christopher Fairbank, who I really love. He's done a lot of like very small roles. He was in Batman. He was in Alien 3. But mm -hmm. I, I pointed out that uh, the thing that I that recently I, I kind of recognized him from that I love him, it's another very small role, but he also shows up in Guardians of the Galaxy as the broker uh, near the beginning. So love oh, him. That character, yeah. I remember him. What's that? <laughs> oh, yeah, that character, I remember him. Yeah. Okay, we've established Paul does not remember who that character is. <laughs> no, but I do, I do remember the, I mean, he's one of those that people call him that guy's. That yeah. the, the actor yeah. is, is, you know, oh, it's that guy, and when he's that so guy great, was in that movie, he's so wonderful <laughs> in this in this role because he's he's basically a, a science nerd. He's like, this is so cool, and he's like, this is like when she when she breaks out and dives through the side of the building, he's just like, she's perfect. Anyway, I love this I love this character, and in this scene, it might, might have, yeah, it has my favorite description of all. When he's like, yes, now we we bombard them with slightly greasy solar atoms. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, that is I, that gets me a chuckle every freaking time yes. he says that. Yeah, there's a slightly greasy soul atoms, but you're like, okay, I buy that. I, I can yeah. see that is, that. is that to make her skin? Yes, yeah. yes, yeah. Because her body right. will react and, and will protect itself by creating skin. It's not, you know, I, of all the things that you could 3D print, literally the only one I would believe is that you could do skin. Oh, yeah, instead, yeah, no, they made the bones and the true. organs and the brain and the soul and everything else. But skin, skin, we got to use greasy protons, you know? Well, I, thought, I mean, I think the reason they do that in the movie, of course, is so they can have the reveal of, of right, Naked yeah. as opposed to a slow 3D printing of Naked Miljojovic. So, yeah. Yeah. So, so everybody there could be like shocked. It's like, oh, wow. I was expecting it was going to be a guy. Yeah. Apparently, the patriarchy is alive and well in the year two thousand three hundred. Well, considering she's what she's only one of what two female characters with a name, and uh, of those, <laughs> the only one with a line with lines. Is there another? I mean, there was major whatever her name is, but she doesn't have any lines. And, and is there any other? There was a lots of uh, the people on the ship. But do they have names? I don't the watch Ruby Rhodes using, so I don't know. But yeah, he's got Plava, I mean, way too many. Flava Laguna has a name, obviously. And oh, that's true. Like, yeah. Well, yeah. okay. Human, human females. Well, well now, you're, now you're narrowing it down. Oh. Human yeah, females with still, red hair. I'm still, still <laughs> I'm just, I'm just uh, saying, this movie does not have a lot of a lot of no, roles no. for women that aren't aren't uh, just for visual appeal. 
Well, come on. I mean, Luthbanson can't be hitting on everybody in the cast. You know, he's got to. So, hey, back to the movie and back to another actor that I want to call out. Not not a female actor, another male actor, obviously. Uh, But uh, Brian James (laughs) as uh, General Monroe, who, if you are a fan of science fiction, you probably Uh, better know him. You better know him from uh, Blade Runner, of course, and also sadly uh, also passed away. Actually, super super young. He was he died in ninety nine at fifty four. Oh, so yeah, yeah, just a couple years after this movie came out, which is yeah. funny because I remember he was dead. I just didn't remember it was that long ago that he had passed away. God, all these all these people dying young. It's like ew, makes you nervous. Makes me nervous. Yeah. Well, yeah, he. I mean, he was young. I mean, Luke Perry was fifty two. Uh, Tom Lister was sixty two. So. Yeah, a lot of the people, and we were talking about this earlier, like some of the actors in the year died were just very old. I mean, obviously this movie was 24 years ago, but sadly a lot of them were actually pretty young when they passed away. So, but I love him in this movie. I love him. He is again, kind of the, like we, we kind of, you kind of mentioned Bill about, you know, all the military characters here. They're, they're very kind of quintessential military characters where they think they're in control, Mm -hmm. but they're actually not. And I love the fact that he goes up and he's kind of, you know, almost taunting her and just being like, hey, if you want to get out of there, you uh, you have to behave yourself. And then she just like punches him and yeah. steals his bad. That was my cat attacking me. In case you yeah, I, I figured I was about to say, is that a cat? And then, OK, so so let's talk about the chase sequence, because that's obviously the escape sequence and the chase sequence. I mean, we've we've kind of seen a lot of the crazy sets and a lot of the crazy outfits. We are introduced in the scene to the the thermal bandages, as they call it, which is probably one of the most iconic costumes or lack thereof in, in 90s sci-fi film. Uh, again, like, like Paul mentioned, uh, all designed by Jean-Paul Gaultier, who I, I will also mention he, I think he only did the costumes for one other movie. And that, uh, the other movie he did the costumes for was uh, city of lost children. Oh, wow. So, cool. Yeah. Wow. So, so he's, I wonder why it's surprising. He did so few. It's, it's an amazing costume on her, uh, say, you know, having gone to a lot of conventions. There's some costumes that only certain people can pull off. This is one of them, and Zardoz is the other one. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Sorry. Those are my love, two future cosplays. Uh, I, I, love how, I love how you, you threw that in there to be like an equal opportunity uh, dissing yes, on people. Yes. <laughs> now, I was planning on doing a mashup of the two. If yeah. you're an attractive couple... Oh, okay. oh, I'm thinking, yeah. and but but no, make it even better. He should dress up, swap him, like, like <gasps> swap the, and yeah. she, oh, yes, yeah. swap him. Now I have to look. I, now I have yeah. to look again at Zardoz's costume if that is something that a female could do without being arrested. But yeah, just throw that out there. Uh, but for the rest, for the for the ninety nine point eight percent of all humanity, don't even think about it. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. <Yeah. laughs> um, and speaking of so speaking of costumes is actually funny because the other costumes that we see in this scene are basically the polar opposite of her costume, which you were talking about the Monashiwan being unable to move around. But I love the fact that they stick the cops in these costumes that are like so massive and bulky that you wonder, yeah. like, how do they even how do they chase anyone in these things? <laughs> yeah. Well, they're super militarized. I thought that was another interesting part of it, is that it was just very much the 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 super militarized cops that you know so i thought see, I, having, having, yeah. having social commentary there i kind of yeah. got a, a judge dread vibe from some of those yes. cop costumes. yeah yeah very much so yeah 
Although it was kind of funny, right? I'm sorry. Were they like, were, did they do much chasing? Because she got to that tunnel and he's like, ah, fuck it. We're going to have to get a flying cop. Like, he's, I'm not going in that tunnel. Well, most of them were like kind of overweight and older. That, that you know, yeah. like they were all these, these shock troops. They were just like, you know, they, they usually kind of deal with, oh, it's, it's more like they deal with the guys when they went after Corbin Dallas, where they, they're just like, hey, we go in, we, we, we tase the guy and we drag him off. That's all we right. think. Yeah. They're, they're wearing all these costumes. And, and they're eating at McDonald's, which is the most terrifying thing in the whole movie. <laughs> it's not that in 300 years a giant evil planet's going to destroy us. In 300 years, there will still be McDonald's. <laughs> One of those actors playing the cops at the McDonald's, his name was? Matt Ronald. McDonald. <laughs> Ta-da! There you go. Can't make this stuff up. And I do no. have to wonder if they hired him, if the casting director saw that name and be like, yes, you were the one. I don't need I don't need you to audition. You're just the one. But see, it comes back around when they're when they're race when they're chasing them and they smash into the McDonald's truck. Yeah. Yeah. That's the punch. Product line. placement. <laughs> well, it was. It was. I mean, I remember being heavily marketed through McDonald's. So Bill, you did mention that this kind of reminds you of, of Judge Dredd, and it definitely reminded me of that. And I think that this is where you get into the the influence of a lot of European comics. Obviously, you know, Judge mm. Dredd was a, a, from the British comic 2000 AD. And so I think that Luc Besson had been influenced a lot by that. He had also been, we mentioned Mobius, uh, who was a, uh, a French artist, sadly has also passed away. But he is kind of interesting too. This, this, the, the design of those costumes actually reminds me a lot of some of his stuff. And mm-hmm. uh, I can see, I think he did a lot of like helmets and stuff. And he actually, he was brought in originally to do some art when, I guess in the early 90s, they tried to kick off the project and then it kind of got shut down but apparently he actually sued Hassan later after oh, the wow. movie came out which yeah and I guess the the lawsuit got thrown out because he had got he, he had actually worked on the production and he had gotten paid for it but I guess I, I don't know maybe he thought that they had ripped stuff off that he hadn't gotten paid for or, mm-hmm. or something but um so yeah it's kind of interesting that the you can actually go and find the the, the next kind of sequence we'll talk about the the all of the whole flying car thing. Uh, if you go find some pictures from right. from some of his his art, it's like it's definitely like a hundred percent ripped directly from that. Yeah, it's pretty. Well, his stuff was hugely influential. I mean, even in America, we had heavy metal magazine, and uh, you know, so you got to see that kind of thing, not just from him, but from all the artists that he influenced. And uh, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sure, he, I'm sure it does, it's no fun to to get ripped off, but. You know, I, I don't know how you're going to win that case. It's a car. It's a flying car. I mean, you know, they could they could come up with a lot of flying cars from even before him. Apparently, it was one specific comic that they that he sued him, and it is actually kind of interesting. It was him and another person. the The person who had written the comic also sued him, and that person was Alejandro Jodorowsky. Oh, oh God! Yeah. So kind of interesting. Oh, and I, I, I guess would, if, I, that, if that lunatic sold me, I would just settle out of court. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Just saying. Um, no, I, I guess the, the suit was uh, settled because, or, or they threw it out because it was like the, the comic in question, the specific comic, it had drawn like minimal influence from that. So, um, but yeah, kind of interesting. Um, but you see, yeah, you see a lot of these art influences, I think even in the costume design, but also in some of the set design, and the props and stuff, you see a lot of this stuff that looks like it was ripped directly from some of these like French and, and British mm-hmm. comics of the eighties. And then we, yeah, we get to the, the sequence, which 
1997, watching this in the theater was absolutely mind-blowing. And I think even though some of the effects are obviously aged, it's actually mm-hmm. still a pretty mind-blowing scene. When she goes out on that balcony and yeah. you see the cityscape, you see the traffic, it's just a, like, it's kind of, like, she's overwhelmed by it, obviously, because she was literally just born. But it's just so overwhelming that even as the audience were kind of overwhelmed by it as well. Yeah. Oh, it's and I think it still holds up today. Um, I mean, it's it's you know, what's what's cool about it is I know at least the city itself is is a miniature. Those are that's a miniature the, the whole city, and so like the clocks are apparently were made out like there's clocks sticking outside of the building were like pocket watches, and <clears throat> and the whole so that was actually like a physical physical set. I wasn't sure about how the the I'm assuming the the cars were. Were CG or were they? Were they? Oh, I mean, so 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 they did make that, some of some some of the cars were physical, like the the actual cars that like the uh, the cop cars and his his cab, right. like they right. were physical. I'm I'm more thinking about like when she goes out there and you see all the CGI traffic, yeah. right? Um, the tra- that's what I'm saying. The traffic CGI, but the the background itself was was actually physical. And right. even though it's, it's old, it's it's fairly early CGI. I think it holds up very well against things like star wars and valeria and these others that are oh yeah there's no practical at all i really think i honestly believe the best the best use of cgi and practical is together each one has its strengths each one has weaknesses that the other one can fill and some of these early films i mean i still think jurassic park is probably some of the best CGI ever done and it shouldn't be because it was like the first to do it that should not be the best you should get better and better but it's because it's a mix and, right. and the real and, and the, the computer generated works so well together. But as time went on and it became easier and easier to do the computer stuff, as opposed to the practical, which takes a lot of time and effort and requires massive amounts of talent. It you know, we've lost that, unfortunately. I, th- I think that's why this scene, like you said, it's a mix and why the CGI works, even though it's so, so early is the CGI are the cars that are just flying by so quickly. Mm-hmm. So you don't have a time to really sit and linger on, oh, that car right. looks a little, you know, it's going, it's all just overwhelming and flying by so fast, whereas the part that's static is the physical. And they even have, like, there's even, like, uh, people um, compost, uh, you know, composited in. They're, like, yeah. on the balconies and things like this. And so it's, it's you know, the, the physical are things you're watching for a long time, and the things that are whizzing by are the CGI, and that's what makes that work so well. Yeah, and the thing I love about this is, like, so far, all of this stuff has been interiors. You get a little bit of a tease because when Corbin Dallas pulls out of, of, his, of his part of his garage, you see the city, but you only get that one little glimpse. And then this is where they really, like, reveal the cityscape. So I just remember, like, seeing this, it was like nothing I'd ever seen. And there were a lot of, like, even following this film, like... I think that there were obviously this is very influenced by we mentioned comics. Obviously, this is also it's it's kind of hard to imagine that this was not influenced by Blade Runner to some extent because you have these flying cars and the, especially the flying cop cars. But then you like there was stuff that came after this. Like what was it? These I think the second uh, the second Star Wars prequel where they're on the right, Earth yes, on, where, yeah, and yeah, it's like ridiculous it, it, planet. Yeah, and it was like it 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 all. I mean it. I don't know. It felt like they were trying to do this on a bigger scope and it, it, but it just, for you know, it just didn't feel as awe inspiring as this for some reason. And we, we do get the, 
the classic moment of the the hero who we know is going to save the girl but for a moment he's very reluctant and he's going to let the police take her because he doesn't want to get, get any more points on his license. <laughs> I thought it was funny that she was reading the please help. Because, like, she, did she, how did she know what it said? It could be like, feed right, right. me. Like, yeah. she don't know what that says. <laughs> yeah. She didn't. She had no idea what that, that meant. Yeah. She got lucky. Well, I think, I think she did. I think she did in a way. Because I think it, the idea oh, is, like, she, she's so <laughs> hyper-intelligent that she can. Yeah. She can. I mean, she, she, she's learning to read. I mean, she's literally just created, like, five minutes ago. And she's already, like, figuring out a language. And she, she picks up the language. I took three years of Spanish. And I starved to death <laughs> if I were dumped in the middle of South America. So she picks it up pretty quickly. I, I remember that scene. I, I didn't buy that at all. I mean, I, if she would have done that thing where the... Uh, Oh, what is it? Where she's looking through the dictionary or all those pictures. She'd have done a little bit of that before then. But yeah, at that point, yeah. I, just, I mean, you know, it's a movie. I mean, what do you, what do you do? <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I mean, it as, as the, even though 3D printing her from her DNA, she wouldn't have any memories or anything. She'd just be, a, like you said, she'd be like infant. I took it as, well, however they did it, it's encoded in her genetic blah, 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 because she has the, you know, Kabuzupelheimer things in, the, in her DNA. And blah, blah. She's the chosen one. Come on. Yeah. You know, yeah, wait, wait. The well, they, they, well, they were showing like the DNA was like how many strands in the helix of her DNA. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Oh, my yeah. God. That's the worst science ever. It's like, yeah. wow, <laughs> most of us just have two strands, but she has like six. You're like, oh, God, that would just. It's all off, you know. <laughs> it's gonna be like a, a massive goo. I I agree with you. If 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 they kind of just had like her somehow pick up something, but I think we just have to kind of go with it. But what I like but again, you know, since this is not like a Star Wars thing where yeah. you've got four billion people trying to like micromanage everything single little thing they do I, I mean i i mean like i said i didn't really i was like ah she wouldn't know that but it it, it, it was certainly wasn't something i was gonna yeah like harp on you know what i mean because right well i was i mean it's to, not, to, me, not, I mean, to me the science fiction of this film is sort of secondary i mean it's more of a entertaining yeah, and comedy it's a borderline thing. fantasy yeah. film it's a 16 yeah. year old's idea of science fiction yeah right well, yeah but I want, I want to get back to actually what, what 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 Zach was saying about this part where where um, Corbin Dallas is like, hey, look, I'm really sorry, but you, it's I can't do anything for you. And at that point, it's sort of like he's just this hardened guy. He was a he's he's only been a cabbie six months, but he was he's he's sort of like very practical. He's like, look, you know, this shit happens all the time. Life's 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 tough. I wish I could help mm -hmm. you, but I can't. And I, I really he's only got one point. He's only got one point left. <laughs> right. I love that. I love you don't that know what happens, but though. I assume you can't draw. <laughs> right? well, I, he, he knows I like nothing about her. She might have just robbed a bank or something. I mean, exactly. You know. She's like a junkie. She's sitting there going, "Well, and he's like, yeah, okay, right. You're you're cute, but you know, hey, tough shit." Yeah. And then so I I like that, and I like the kind of turn, like fuck it. You know, because he's, yeah. he's like, you know what, I, I've been doing this just for a handful of, you know, I used to be a military guy, I used to have this other life, now I'm doing this, and this sucks. So, See, and that, that, but that I wasn't that even was in the script. Kids. That's what Bruce Willis does in every other movie. So he said, ah, yeah. I'm going to do this. <laughs> yeah. That That is true. That is the very Bruce Willis-y thing, isn't it? 
He was so. actually supposed to give her over to the police, but Bruce Willis was like, "No, I'll do the scene my way." Yeah. <laughs> it was, a very, it was, it was meant to be a short. It was meant to be a short film, and just yeah. Someone's <laughs> got to throw Alan Rickman off a building, and it might as well be me. <laughs> do we want to talk about the next scene? I guess we're getting into kind of Act Two, and and Renee, hey. You know, you were mentioning how the acts have to two hours. The acts have, <laughs> have to be broken up uh, by the 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 character turns. Well, hey, that was his character turn. Okay, it only took like thirty seconds, but there you go. I'm glad yeah. we glad we got to that. Yeah. What do we? What do? Well, if we want to speed things along, we can. If we would like to call out the things that we really want to talk about. I love the I love the uh, the comedy bits of everybody claiming to be him trying to get a ticket to get on that airplane you know they just they just kept upping the ante it's like oh and here come yeah. here come a couple more people claiming to be him it was like <laughs> it's just getting funnier and funnier yeah well hey let's talk about some of the people who do call him to be him because one wait, of wait, the... before we get that we've, we've oh. completely really skipped over zorg well that's why I, that's, oh, that's yeah, literally that's what that's literally what i'm about to talk about so <laughs> so but he didn't so, claim to be him <laughs> no, but he sent the guy, he sent Tricky to claim to be him. And right. he, when he shows up, he's in the scene with the Mangalores, who also claim to be him. So right. let's talk about that introduction. And he, he shows up earlier in a scene, but you don't really see him. So let's talk about Gary Oldman as oh Jean-Baptiste Emmanuel Zorg. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Someone start me off, because I got a lot to say. Why does he have plastic amazing. on his head? Right. Why does he have a southern accent? Why does he have a reverse Hitler mustache on his uh, lower <laughs> Yeah, all I sort of thought questions. that they were like a different race or something because, yeah, they all had that plastic on their head. And I'm like, okay, so that means they're a different, I don't know, race or something, or they're from a... Hey, who else had a, who else had the plastic? Alan, who else had the plastic? Because I didn't... All his henchmen. Um, oh, did they? Yeah, some of his goons. Yeah. yeah oh, like, I guess I but that. see, it wasn't like his. Like, it was. it's almost like... It's almost like when you start losing your hair, you cover the bald spot with plastic. So he had like half the plastic and one of his goons were like, he was like completely bald. He had it over his whole head, I think. I don't know. It's maybe it was like a hair growth thing. Maybe it was. Uh, <laughs> I think it's just a bad <laughs> statement. They're doing an intra office. Hair <laughs> yeah. True, yeah. I think it's well, you a know, fashion statement. I did like the fact he looked ridiculous and nobody commented on it because this is normal. And this is one of the few movies where in the future, everyone doesn't look exactly the same. Everyone's got, you know, their own hairstyle, their own this, their own that, and all, which is way closer to what the future has become. You, you know, you look at old science fiction movies and we're from the future. That's why we all dress alike. And it's like, yeah, yeah it, by, you know, 20 years after that movie was made, you look at a high school yearbook and everyone looks different. Yeah. So, you know, the future did not turn out the way they thought with conformity. If anything, it's gone the other direction. So here it's even more so. Well, that, that's then, the thing. I, well, but, that's the thing I love about this because obviously it's because of the the costume designer, but the future everyone looks like they're just came off of a, a fashion runway. And yeah, so I this was the first movie I think I ever saw Gary Oldman in. Oh, really? And yeah, yeah. So I think that this was. I think that honestly, it took me a very long time to realize. I think I watched a couple of movies with him. And it took me a while to realize that it was the same actor because yes. <laughs> he, even when he's not wearing a bunch of ridiculous shit, like he is such a chameleon and he is so oh, good. Man. Like he has, like, I think Renee, did you say, did you mention the accent? Yeah. Yeah. He has this ridiculous accent. Any other actor <laughs> I think would make this just tacky and campy, but for yeah. some reason 
he makes it like he has this weird southern accent and he makes it like almost menacing yeah it still worked for me because i've been watching uh, i just finished watching justified where oh yeah the main the main bad guy in that has that cadence (laughs) that southern preacher villain it's great it's great and and it's a weird choice but you know he makes nothing but weird choices his you know you look at you look at some of his memorable characters and everything you know dracula um the character he did in true romance just insane things uh, what a way what's, to live. Uh, what, what's the guy's name uh from hannibal mm. oh uh verger verger mason yeah. verger mason, mason oh my verger. god yeah. oh, jesus yeah um yeah so so horrifying and and yeah he's just he, even the Harry Potter thing. I mean, he he does he does all kinds of stuff. You just don't know where. And then he'll play Jim Gordon in Batman. Yeah, yeah. As a and really good it. Jim Gordon. Nail it without having to. I'm gonna do. I'm gonna make him sound like uh, Pokey from Gumby and Pokey. No, you know he just <laughs> like know, that. Yeah, he matches it to what the project needs. And, he's and... not Nicolas Cage. Yeah, Christopher Nolan actually talked talked him off of that ledge. Luckily, so. it, it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's it's. He's good. He's good at everything he does, really. Well, yeah. Uh, one of the one of the scenes I like with Zorg is the one where uh, Ian Holm shows up to talk to him, mm. and 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 he starts talking about. Um, uh, well, he does. It's, it's called the, the broken window fallacy, where he's like, "See, look, I break this, I break this glass, and look, all these little things come out, and 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 it causes life. Destruction causes life, and." about all the people and their, their their children had to had to they, they get to feed their children because they get to make these things and and all this convinced yeah well it, it's actually it's, it's a well-known <laughs> it's a well-known fallacy called the broken window fallacy that, that's actually uh yeah i don't think that's the broken window fallacy but it isn't i thought it was <laughs> no the broken window fallacy is no no the broken window fallacy is if you let someone break a window and you leave it broken it will increase crime in an area no no there's also one called the broken window fallacy from of of, of French philosopher from like the 18th, 18th century. Oh, okay. Well, oh, God. Well, no, it's, it's a well known broken window. It's, <laughs> okay. it's basically it's basically the argument that war is good because war war causes money to be spent and causes causes um, advancement. And it's like no, because there's actual loss from from the destruction. There's 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 loss that doesn't. I, I don't. I'm not. A, I'm not an economist with us, but it, yeah. it, look it up. It's called the broken window parable. Zach, Zach was still thinking about Rudy Giuliani. Yeah, <laughs> but anyway, the idea is he's, 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 he's doing this, and he thinks it's 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 correct. And then he he gets the little glass of the cherry in it and starts choking to death. And you know, Holmes like, well, yeah. And he's like, what little rut's gonna pat you on the back? He's hitting all things, and I love the little the little the little snuffle up, I guess, or whatever the shit pops up. Yes, and it's like the camera's like trying to help him. And later, there's a scene where he's sitting there, he's holding it, and he's like snuggling it, and he's he's cuddling. At one point, it's just not, it's, it's and it's sitting there, and it's like padding with this little, and he, so it's it's so great that Zorg, who's this evil bastard, he has to have this, like his own little bad. genetically engineered friend that he has to have in school. I just for some reason that just oh. that tickles me. Now this was not the first movie he made with with uh, Besson. He, he was he was even I, to me I think he was even more over the top in the yeah. professional where he's playing a human. You know, just a yeah. regular human in a regular time period. He was just so, you know, swinging for the fences. And usually, when it, when an actor is chewing the scenery like that, nah, you know. It, it, but for some reason, I'll accept it with him. 
I mean, I, it, it's sort of weird that I that I like his performance here, and I so don't like Chris Tucker's. When I mean, they're both what? they both look like they could be in the same universe. Oh, yeah, boy. I'm sorry. We're gonna yeah, have some we'll words. Get, we will. We will. <laughs> it's not. It's not even that I'm blaming Chris Tucker because I think he he played it exactly how it was written. But there's the problem. Yeah, well, we're we're gonna we're gonna have some interesting conversations about that because yeah. as as someone who doesn't like a lot of Chris Tucker's work, I think that this is a genius role. But yeah, we'll mm. get to that. And then I also love yeah the whole scene where he's introduced and the Manglers are there, and he's he I love the fact that he's given them the whole spiel about the what is it the ZX one, and he's kind of showing them all of the. Uh, all all of the different features of it and he's got like the yeah. mannequin that he's blowing up and then he does you know he has the whole four stones four crates zero stones zero crates which i always used to love yeah. uh quoting and then he does the thing where yeah he's like you know you know what i like a died in the wool killer now a real killer would have asked about that little red button on the side i, lo- I love i love that scene and i, I had a, a flashback to a movie that obviously had not been made at the time that was totally like something out of an iron man movie yeah, you're you're kind of you a, a an industrialist as a villain, yeah. But the whole the that, whole thing where who's who's the uh, Sam Rockwell in was it I yeah, guess Iron yeah. Man two where he's like showing his hey you like this and this will do and none of this stuff really works but yeah it's a it's a it's a fun little bit that's a cool that's a cool weapon by the way except for the red button which I don't <laughs> know not really a good thing to have on a weapon. That, that, well, if so, it gets stolen know, from you and somebody's yeah. likely to press it. Yeah, oh. that's that that could happen, but I'll tell you what's way more likely to happen. I reach for my gun and I blow myself <laughs> to pieces. What I like is while 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 they switch back to the manglers, they're looking at the ones in the background are like fucking around with them, like I shooting the net at the other yeah. people. And, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like they're just yeah. they're just screwing up. They're just like, whoa, whoa. you know, they, they didn't need that button. They would have ended up destroying themselves anyway. Uh, it, yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> it does remind me of in the Matt Hell movies. They give Matt Helm a gun. They know he's going to lose it, and it's a gun that to fire it forward, you have to push the trigger forward. But if you pull it backwards, it shoots at you because they figured that he'd lose his gun and would, you know, get shot by the other guy. Anyway, never mind. I figured it was made by the same guy who put the lever in Bride of Frankenstein. That if you pull it, it blows the entire laboratory to atoms, which is really a feature I would leave out of my laboratory. But that's me. <laughs> and yeah, t- talking of, speaking of musicians and and models, uh, I also love Tricky as his right hand man. Uh, Tricky, who is who is I guess I, I was not familiar with this when I watched this movie, and I still don't know if I could name any of his music. But he is, uh, I guess, he is a performing artist primarily. So, so you're saying it's tricky to find any of his music? Oh. <laughs> actually, actually not. I've just never tried to, but uh, no. I'll, let it, I'll let it stand. I'll, I'll let you have the joke. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. No worries. That's that's what. Nobody steals for. these jokes. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. And then, God, other things I love about this. Uh, I, I also, speaking of tricky, I love the fact that he is piloting a little spy cockroach into the president's chambers <laughs> to to spy on them. And and find out about the this is this is where the you know we say this plot is actually very simple and for the most part it is but I love how this whole it does actually get kind of complicated where now we have them Monroe shows up and he's like okay we rigged this contest we're sending you to get the stones but then the the, the Manglors also know about it but then uh, Zorg also knows about it so they're suddenly all trying to like pretend to be him. I don't know. It's like there's it's a very simple plot, but there's this whole this whole thing is all actually very kind of convoluted and, and complicated for such a simple film. 
my question is, how do the Mangalors know about that? How do the, how do the Mangalors find out? We know how Zork finds out. How do the Mangalors know that that he has that, that Corbin is the one who's going to go retrieve the stones? And, Be, because the because remember what happens when the police come to arrest him, right? He he uh, he gets the re yeah, remember the, his 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 neighbor, right? Yeah, yeah. So the, so. Yeah. Yeah, so so his neighbor, the cops think this neighbor is Corbin Dallas. So they arrest they arrest him, and then the Manglers come in and kill the cops, and then uh, figure out that they think that that's Corbin Dallas. So that's why they impersonate the neighbor. But why? Why do they? Why? No, what I'm saying is, why do they take Corbin? Why were they going after Corbin Dallas? How do they know that? How did they know he was going to go get the stones? Because it's being announced all over the place. Remember, I think they announced that he was the winner of a contest. They didn't announce that oh he the stones are because the the um zork knew where the stones were because they were listening in on the present they knew that, that they were going to go get dallas to go get them how did the mangalores ah. know after the stones were mm. did, that's I mean, a good question yeah oh that just ruins the whole movie <laughs> <laughs> no 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 no, 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 no. It is. it's never really mentioned so maybe they yeah, maybe i'm trying to think maybe there's a spot maybe they've got a spy in because we know they can they can shapeshift, so maybe they've got a spy in uh, Zorg's um, organization. We'll have to yeah. wait for the Zack Snyder cut. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! Now, now, but now he's gonna I'm take all comedy out of it. Then, uh, yeah. yeah, and then we'll be five minutes long, and it'll be unsaturated. Oh my God! It'll be four three. Ooh. That's that's actually good. Now, Paul, Paul, you're killing me because that never occurred to me. Now I'm like, I, I. I feel like it was explained, but maybe not. It was, I, it was stolen. Zork I stole that. From, what? Well, I'm sorry. I thought that Zork had hired those guys earlier, but not to go get the um, not to go get the stones. Well, no, to get the stones, was, not to, he, yeah, not to get the not to get them from Dallas though. But he called him. Did he? When he couldn't? Well, because he couldn't get on the plane, so he called him. But then I don't remember. But not, not I, the, I thought it was implied that that Zork had hired those guys. The no, he, yeah, he, he he did hire them because the scene where they're introduced, they're delivering the stones to him, but then the crate is empty. Yeah, right. but yeah, so, I thought so it was they, a continued thing, but I didn't realize maybe they split off. No, on because their own. at that point they were they were out for Zork. In fact, that's the whole reason they go to because they're they're like fuck Zork, we're gonna. Yeah, because he blo That's when they blow up. Yeah, that same scene. The end of that scene, they 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 blow up, and so. Then they're working against him. They look surprisingly unblown up, though. They, they it looks like the blowing the blowing up really looks like you should have taken them all out, but apparently right one of them well, survived. Pretty tough, you know. Yeah, Mangalores uh, are yeah. pretty hardy beasts. Yeah, that's the word on the street. <laughs> <laughs> no, now now that's gonna I'm gonna have to go back and rewatch it because I'm like, yeah. Anyway. My wife's only pointed that out, so okay. Well, all then right. I don't give smart. you any credit. We also get the the great line, uh, "I am a meat popsicle," which is obviously, mm. yeah, one one of the one of the most enduring lines from a, a film that's uh, very quotable. Do we want to talk about the airport scene and the introduction of Bill's favorite character in the movie? Yeah, <laughs> let's head there. Let's head. To, let's head to the airport. Let's head to the airport. Yeah. So yeah, we have we get to the airport, and this is kind of where things get, do get a little complicated because we have the Mangalores and and Tricky comes in pretending to be him. One thing I will call out, and I I know it's uh, people are probably getting annoyed because I always say, well, I read the script, and there's well, it's funny because this is actually back in the day when I first realized that you could find film scripts on the internet. 
This was actually, mm. I think, the first film script I ever read. And I actually, I remember thinking it was cool because it's very close to the shooting script, or it was the shooting script. It was very close to what was, you know, showed up on screen. But there was one thing I'll always remember that, that was left out that I wish they had kept because it's totally random and makes no sense. But in this scene at the airport, there are cops patrolling the area. And instead of dogs, for some reason, they have uh, police pigs. Wow. <laughs> no clue why. I don't think it's ever mentioned. It's just they just have police pigs. And that I always thought that, that fits perfectly in this universe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Not sure why they took them out. Yeah, no joke. They probably kept eating the garbage. It's like, this is too much. Yeah. It's too much work. I, I do. Speaking of the garbage, I love that detail because, I mean, yes, I, I do remember it must have been like in the 80s or 90s. I thought it might have been maybe more the 70s when New York had a lot of garbage strikes. Yeah. And so that was like a thing that was in people's was, minds. Is and that so, what that right. was? Yeah, they, they yeah. mentioned it very just, briefly that there's a there's a. I just assumed I had missed something. I'm like, why they keep talking about the garbage? Who cares? But yeah, okay, it's, that it's makes sense. It's mentioned like in one of the voiceovers from a a, a passing uh, news news broadcast or something about the another you know the sanitation strike. So yeah, ah, okay. And then the the uh, the the flight attendant who kind of checks them in is like, sorry about the mess. Is there anything else in the airport we want to talk about, or do we want to get to the best character in this entire film? Oh, God. We can, we can I'm ready for Bill's the, favorite the, character. The, All right. Yeah. Bill, uh, do you want to tell us why, what you think about Mr. Chris Tucker as Ruby Rod in this film? Okay. Now, I mean, although, although it does feel kind of improv, like, like you know, you, you got Robin Williams, like, okay, he's supposed to be a nutty guy, so be nutty, and then Robin Williams gives you a bunch of great stuff, and you just have to edit everyone else around it. I don't know if that was the case here, and it, he didn't get a lot of great stuff. It's this character, you know, you're in a universe that's outrageous just by its nature, and this guy is supposed to be even more outrageous. He's, he's you know, the, the reason I don't like this character is I don't like... It's, it's the same reason, and this is the second time I've brought this up, I don't like movies about ventriloquists, because the problem always is that we're expected to believe that these are funny, popular characters, because we're shown characters laughing at them, but it's not remotely funny. And this character is supposed to be this guy that everyone is just like, oh my god, they're just gaga over him. He's, he's the most famous person there. Women just swoon, literally just faint if he looks at them and everything. And I don't believe that for a second. Even in a fantasy, even a science fiction movie, there's nothing about this guy that is that would that would make anyone react that way. It, he's he, it's ridiculous. It's like a it's like a caricature of what it would be like. Like you know, he's so he's so bad that the fact that everyone thinks he's great is a joke. But I I don't I don't think that joke really. I, I think it kind of stops the movie dead because at some point they decide no, this really is. Great stuff, and obviously I might be in the minority opinion here. So you know, I, I could be wrong about that. Everyone thinks I can't wait till this guy gets on and screeches some more. Um, he just, to me, I thought Poochie from from uh, The Simpsons. You know, it's like a character created to be every. You know, he's the best. He's great. Everyone loves him, and it's like, oh, not at all, man. I can't wait for him to get off the screen. Well, yeah, I, I liked the Chris Tucker character. I just thought they used it too much. Little I mean, goes I a long he way. was great for five. I don't know. And I, again, I didn't, I didn't time his screen time, but I thought he was great for five minutes, but they used him for 15, you know, 
What I, what I kind of liked about that character, though, is that when you first see him, you think he's kind of this throwaway, temporary character. He's just this here's goofy character, blah, blah, you know, blah, blah. and then by the he ends up being one of the key people at the end of the movie, and he's he's one of the, he's one of the people who there who helps save the world. And so yeah. I love the fact that here is this kind of like it this character that is so outrageous. You think is just kind of a throwaway character, and it's also kind of neat because. The characters is supposed to be yes, I'm super confident and I'm you know everyone loves me and by the end he's he's like a nervous wreck and he's he's yeah. also kind of like he's what do I do what do I do what do I do and then he also has the moment he also has like the 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 journalist moment where he's he's live broadcasting yeah <laughs> it's, you know oh the humanity so it's I I love the things that go on with that character I can see how he'd be annoying I mean that, that there's no two ways about that but I. I still, I still love him, and I do love the fact that they. And so, Alan, I could definitely see how you could tell. You're like, okay, he has overstayed his welcome. But mm -hmm. I like what I personally like is the fact that you think he's this character that's going to be just a, a flash, and then he ends up being more important. So, so, so yeah. here's here's the funny. Oh, sorry, Renee, you take it take it away before I go on a tirade. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, I, I, I didn't want to invalidate what Alan said. I do. I, I could definitely see if you don't like this character that it's it's he's over. Yeah, I could see how some people maybe wouldn't mm. like well, him. And... However, I'm not one of those people. I'm sorry, Alan. Do you want to interject. <laughs> no, I was just gonna say. I mean, this is like. I mean, to me, it's almost like the Bruce Willis character. You either really like Bruce Willis, or you. Or, well, I guess maybe you can like him a little bit. But anyway, Chris Tucker is the same way. I mean, Chris Tucker is very similar in most of the movies that he's in and and you i guess you either like it or you don't i <laughs> this was actually the first thing i ever saw chris tucker in, so i didn't i didn't know him as chris oh tucker. see like, and i think yes. that's part of it for me because you know i mean i think he obviously brings an element of fun and i think you know you could say for like his sexual appeal think of prince you know that's exactly what i was well I think yeah he's got that with. energy or whatever the confidence whatever it is that Ooh. he has well, going on there but yeah. he was in he was in Friday before this. So the character from Friday to this completely different. And it was just, so I think that too was just like, Oh my God, what is happening? This is Chris Tucker, you know, in a role. I loved it. Know. If he'd been a Prince, like a Prince character. You yeah. Know? That's, I, that's I how I kind of took him to be. Well, because again, when he comes uh, up, to the, when he comes up to the story, he's like, he's thinking really sexy things, really soft and really sexy things. It's just like, very much a prince-like kind of move. So I was, but I was. Then, but then, up to that point, he's flouncing around. I mean, you know, he's like he's like someone who doesn't like or know who Prince is, pretending to be Prince. Yeah. So, so here, here's the, here's the thing. I, I want to say uh, I, the 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 funny thing is, I actually agree with. Oh, <laughs> I actually agree <laughs> with a lot of what Bill said. And now, here's here's the here's the thing uh -oh. though. Here's here's where we disagree. Yeah. Uh, I actually do find him very annoying to a certain extent. And I do find it completely outrageous that, he, you know, he's this popular, he's got 20 billion fans or whatever. Here's why that works though. There are so many celebrities in present day that I am like, how is this person so famous? How is this person considered a sex symbol? How is this person considered an influencer? And I'm like, yeah. This is actually very, very realistic to me that this I, guy. I, I was going to add that this is probably the most, um, it, it, the thing that they absolutely got right. That there are people it. out there that I totally don't understand how you could influence anyone to do anything, being as much of a 
total waste of carbon as as they are. So they yeah, totally they, got they got it. that right. They did get it right. I don't have but to here, like it, but they did get it yeah. right. And, and here's the other thing. So I I think I have I have mixed feelings about Chris Tucker. Uh, I actually think he's a pretty decent actor. If you've ever, he's done a couple of kind of serious roles. Jackie Brown. He was in Jackie Brown. He was also in Dead, Dead Presidents, if you've ever seen that. When mm-hmm. he does serious work, he's actually, he's a pretty good actor. I think the thing that works so well about this that doesn't work about a lot of his other characters, like I, I don't like the Rush Hour films. I don't like his character mm-hmm. in that, in those. Because in those movies, it's like, the punch like him being an annoying is supposed to be like funny and in this yeah. in this film it's supposed to be funny it is supposed to be funny that's the joke but he the characters like corbin dallas does not react to him as if he's funny corbin dallas gives him an absolute deadpan response each time and it's like the interplay between those characters so he's not like the he i i feel like the character is written not that like haha the care the the filmmakers think that they are writing a character that is actually like genuinely funny it's that they are writing a character that is so annoying that he is going to piss off bruce willis or corbin dallas yeah. and there's going to be kind of that funny kind of asymmetry there between the characters and, and i don't know i i think he also the fact that he he nails it so much his 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 the way that he delivers the lines but also just his physical presence like i actually think he nails it pretty well and someone mentioned like the prince thing and i mean the the thing about prince was always about like it wasn't just about the way it wasn't just about his voice it wasn't just about the way that he sounded on the radio it was the entire persona that he had around himself and i actually buy that ruby rod has this persona that he's kind of built up around himself that's not just about the way he talks or sings it's about the way he dresses it's about the hair it's about the way he moves it's about the way he he just exists in the world and i don't know i actually i think that that's why i buy this so much because yeah it's it's, it's kind of an annoying character but it's yeah. so it's so it feels like a very lived in character and that's what makes it work for me i guess the prince thing bothers me just because prince Prince was not always popular. I mean, he was always Prince. He was always out yeah. there. And and it took a while to build up his popularity, but it happened. And there's a good reason for it. He was unbelievably talented. People yeah. don't realize just how talented oh, he oh, was until, yeah. you know, now that he's gone, they, they appreciate it. This guy's a DJ. Okay, listen, I don't want to trash anyone. Anyone it's a who makes comparison. I don't I'm not saying that Ruby Rod as a fictional no, no, character is as talented and and it's just that it's hard to imagine that this guy could have that many fans. I mean, yes, there's a lot of real screw heads walking around, but uh you know. Now I will say I did laugh out loud when he's like doing his doing his shtick. And then, and you know, and what do you think, Bruce Willis? And Bruce Willis just like, yeah, I'm real happy about it. And, what do you say, my man? What do you say, my man? Yeah, whatever. Yeah. And, 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 he, and then it's like when they when the camera's off, he's like, he blows up at him and is like, you know, yeah. and then they do it again. And he does the exact same thing. He's even less, yeah. less excited the second time. And just the way his face falls, you know, like Chris Tucker, does, you know, he's so mad at that point. That was funny. That's funny. I just think. I think they, um, I think they fell in the the director fell in love with this character a little too much, and and you see this happen every now and again. I thought the same thing about the the Ghostbusters remake that there was clearly a character that 
the director just fell in love with and they kept cutting back to them and it's like okay now you're just mugging for the camera and and it, you know when, when i just feel like when you when a director or a filmmaker is trying to force you to like someone because they do i just go in the opposite direction yeah yeah but obviously he works he works for a lot of people so right but i, I could see i mean I, I think of of any of the characters in this film uh one that would be divisive would be ruby rod yeah because yeah you could easily take him as as annoying as hell um <laughs> in other words you could basically take him the same way uh corbin uh, uh you know um i was gonna say corbin Burnson. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> from dallas takes him which is just like yeah won't he just shut the fuck up why do people right. like this guy and, and, I can, and this I can, is a movie with go ahead Sorry. yeah so i could easily i can easily see that and and then you can but then you know like i said you can also say this is a really funny trail so i i, I could definitely see that this this is a movie with gary oldman eating the furniture you know not not a subtle <laughs> portrayal there no, I, I like not. his character but the difference is gary oldman's character he's he's just as crazy and over the top and and nutty but, you know, in his defense, he accomplishes a lot in this movie. He practically destroys the world. So, you know, I got to give the man some props there. there He's go. not a freaking DJ. Well, I, I think the other thing that might be annoying is when Ruby Rod is on the air, they have music blaring. Yeah. And so that could that could add to the grating nature of that character. Of the, of the, which, I mean, and that's, I think, is that, that where the wolf howl is at one point? That is where the wolf howl is. And I know oh. that because... That that track is on the soundtrack as a full track, and I listened to that endlessly yeah. when, the, when this movie came out, and I loved it. No, I, it just—it's such an unrealistic element. Listen, I'm going to make a reference no one's going to get. He so reminds me of those terrible 1960s beach party movies where they'll, you know, in the middle of the, it's just a, a movie about surfing and everything. They'll have some character who shows up and has superpowers. Maybe it's just a girl who like she shakes her hips and people go flying through the air or something. And and you know, it just it's so it's such a weird and I, I was saying unrealistic in this movie, I know it's insane, <laughs> yeah. even as as the sound escapes my lips. But it just was such a weird element that kind of came out of nowhere. Like, you know, I accepted the 3D printing uh Beautiful women, but I'm not buying this DJ. But stuff. Ruby Rod's popularity was too much. Ruby Rod's popularity baffles me. Nah, come on. Nah, get out of here. Bring the aliens back. No, when you mentioned flying through the air, that actually brought up. That reminded me, like this one, the one, this one gag with Ruby Rod that is probably the most overt slapstick bit in the film when he's going through and 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 doing his 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 broadcast down the aisle, and he has this big long microphone. Uh, you know, staff at one point. He turns yes. around at one point really fast. And you're just, ah, boom! And the, the one of the stewardesses goes like flying off stage like through a door. <laughs> yes. And it's funny if you might not catch it because there's so much going on, but then you watch it, you're like, Yeah, wait, it's such a slapstick moment that actually doesn't quite fit. But it's, it's just for me, it was <laughs> just, it. it's, it's the hoot. It, yeah, it, it, it reminds me of the gag you always talk about, Bill, about the person someone throwing something off screen or the cat. Okay. All right. Yeah. See, I, absolutely. He's if they did that in this movie, yeah, that is the is the one thing that will guaranteed to get a laugh out of me. Throw something yeah. off screen and just hear broken glass and a cat going. Rawr! I laugh every time. Every time. 
Yeah. So, hey, Bill said uh, he mm-hmm. wanted to get back to the aliens uh, instead of Ruby Rod. Speaking of aliens, how about Al Matthews and the scene where Zor- uh, Mr. Shadow is calling Zorg? He shows up as General Tudor, but uh, you may know him as uh, Sergeant Apone from Aliens. Or, or you not. Might. Cool. <laughs> or not. Okay, maybe you guys have a seen that movie. It's great. You should watch it. Um, really? Yeah. It is. He, it is. So there's more than one alien in that one, huh? Yeah, it's, it's uh, yeah, at move. least two. Yeah, they, the, they completely ignore the things from the first movie, like the how far the acid can burn and all this. They just they blow uh, them up left and right, and it only only burns people and burns through shit when it's convenient. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Uh, no, I, I just wanted to call that out because I I love Apone, and I never realized it was him until I looked at the credits. Sadly, what was the name uh, of the actor again? Al Matthews. Uh, you're gonna tell me he's dead now, right? He he passed away in 2018. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. Oh. Yeah. Um, <laughs> anything else we want to talk about in this bit or do we want to get to Flust in Paradise and the climax of this film let's get to Flust in Paradise alright let's do it it's the Hotel of a Thousand One Follies Lollies and Lingamollies and Gucci Gucci Coo all night long all night oh long my all night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's right I have the whole thing committed to memory I can't tell you and how Neville and Alan leave they're like I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you, and you sat alone in high school at lunchtime? Yeah, believe it or not. Uh, <laughs> people people didn't want to interrupt me because I had my Discman and I was I was jamming to uh, the Fifth Element soundtrack. Yeah. Okay, so hey, let's talk about Floss in Paradise. I think that this is where the I think this is where they told John Paul Gaultier, like, hey, you you were we know what you were holding back earlier. Uh go batshit insane in this scene. And he did. Um, we got the diva. We got the diva Plava Laguna. We've got all the people in the the uh, the concert hall. I do want to call out another actor who I actually don't know if he's he's still de- uh, alive or or he's dead because I don't think I found any information on him. God, I actually have to to find We're him. We're talking again. about him. He's probably dead. No, uh, <laughs> this one this one blew my mind. Okay, because again, I am a. You know, I watched this movie so many times and there were so many characters that like stood out and I, I, I just have very vivid memories of them. And one of them is uh, one of the one of the guys that that Ruby Rod points out when they get to the concert hall, Baby Ray. And if you didn't catch his name, he's the guy who's like deaf and he's like, what? what? He, he's yeah, like signing yeah. autographs played by Ian Beckett. He has never appeared in any other movie again. And I can't hey. fathom why not because he's hilarious. The scene where he rolls the 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 pool yeah. over to him, yeah. and he's like, and he's like, yeah, and he's like, no, you. I, I, one of the funniest parts of the entire movie. I don't know. I I I always assumed, and I had never looked him up. I always assumed this was like a cameo by someone, or like he, maybe he mm-hmm. was like a a, a model or a, a fashion designer. Nope. I could not find any other. Yeah, I, I, I thought I thought that it was like some famous European guy, and yeah. it's probably an in joke that he's deaf because actually in real life he's got three ears or something. But... <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, God, only. So, anyways, the man with two ears. Yeah, the man with three ears. The man with two ears. Is is there anything else uh, people? I know I'm, I I keep calling out all these little things. Is there anything anyone wants to talk about specifically? Do we talk about the yeah. diva? I mean, yeah, come on, absolutely. Kind of major okay, I have a I have a question. So, like, where does her where what's her where's her costume and where's her body exactly? Is it the same yes. color? Or so, in other words, is she actually like a big slug? And the so that's actually her. 
she like that that's not her her skirt that's actually her like flesh and she's just this big like thing or is that her dress and and they just happen to have the same color as her skin i, I don't know i want to know these things i but love here, that yeah i like that oh, sorry here again though I, okay so she's an alien mm-hmm. and she's a talented singer so weird looking people with talent are common in this universe. So why the hell is anyone looking twice at Chris Tucker, who's just pretending to be an alien? <laughs> he's got he's got a haircut. I could get that haircut, walk down the street and then, look at me, booga booga, and everyone would like, you know, throw stuff at me. They would pelt me with rocks and garbage. You mean more than more so than they already more do. so than usual, yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> you're not in the twenty fourth century, Bill, or the twenty third century. The twenty third yeah. century things that make him look like like a lunatic which is what he is uh, you know it just it's it, if he was the most unusual character in the movie you're like well of course people react to something that's crazy he's not even anywhere on the chart of crazy compared to what's genuinely crazy the diva but she's also a good singer 10 years down the road from the film people look back and say, oh man can you believe when ruby rod was a thing oh yeah i can't believe what we were thinking back then you know, fair enough. Yeah, fair exactly. enough. Yeah. Oh, fall out of fashion. Boy, there's a movie like you know, ten years after his fame is gone. What, what does Ruby do? You know, how do you reinvent yourself? Let's make it. Let's make a sequel to this movie with just Ruby Ryan. Oh, I wish. And then, oh. and then you could strap you me to a chair and, and force my eyes open like Malcolm McDowell in in a oh Clockwork <laughs> Yeah, I, I would. Like I would movie. love much like. George Miller is making Furiosa. I would, I would oh. love. Luke, I mean, I take that back. Someone else should make a Ruby Rod spinoff film because I don't want to watch anything else by Luke Besson. But yes, I would totally watch that. And Bill, yeah. you would, you would go with me opening night. Yeah, um, yeah, I would. I, would. <laughs> I, I actually, I love that point, Paul, because I was thinking the same thing. You don't know where the costume ends and the the skin begins. And I actually love the idea that she's just a giant slug because she's <laughs> kind of portrayed as this almost i mean she's an alien obviously but she's a beautiful alien but i love the fact that nope she's actually a giant slug and she's kind of gross so and that's yeah. how she was able to shove the rocks into her body yes i guess they, well, what yeah, i want to know is were they going to be able to get the rocks out if she hadn't you know gotten a whole shot in her i mean she was gonna you know she was gonna need to uh, uh, the laxatives i think yeah Don't take some laxatives and you know it's yeah. fine she's this to save the world it's it's for a good cause um, again, uh, I'll, I'll call out the other thing that I listen to. If there's one track on that soundtrack that I listen to more than Ruby Rod track, it, it, it is the the Diva Dance, which is, yeah. I mean, I, I love the fact that it's like the audience in the movie is just fascinated and in awe of this. And it's actually like, it's valid. Like they actually pulled off what they were trying to do with it. It's it's also genuinely good. I mean, I, that yeah. is something you're, it's worth listening to because it's a good. A lot of times when they try to do, and here's an alien performance by aliens, yeah. and it's like that sounds horrible. Yes, but to aliens, <laughs> it sounds good. Oh, okay. But yeah, it's 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 really well done. I I you know I almost I'd forgotten all about that. She's saying, uh, "Look, the rocks are in me." In me. Yeah. And then he re- reaches into her, and I was like, "What?" That's a big leap. I would just assume she's being metaphorical or something. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to actually, I'm not, okay, well, let me go see. Oh my God, what the hell are you doing? You know, she was just wounded. Now you've like killed her. <laughs> I, I, I will say that's the one really, that's the one part of the movie I really kind of hate because it's that moment where someone says something and then, and then the character's like, ah, oh, he said, he said the, the answer is in, oh, in, in me. Oh, 
what oh wait what it's like it's like the moment in the in the you know men in black where they're like oh the the answer is in orion's belt and then it turns out that orion's the cat and it's like okay but i don't don't know um we'll also mention that the diva once again is played by may win is that how we agreed her name is pronounced that's good Um, i'll go with that yeah who uh you know disagree uh, so long suffering disagree okay <laughs> <laughs> well how do you pronounce it uh what, what no idea i'm just i'm just kidding because everybody else agrees. um who, <laughs> no that sounds good <clears throat> who actually hey, hey hey thanks for bringing that up by the way if you've got really something important on your cat's collar <laughs> you, need, you need to convey that information. Don't be cute and say it's on Orion's belt and assume that you know we're ever going to figure that out. Just say it's it's on my cat's collar. Thank you. <laughs> this has been a public service announcement. <sighs> so are we are we going all the way to the ending here? Because I, I got to say I'm, I'm a little disappointed in how unspectacularly we lost Zorg and the Big Bad. They they just sort of you know blowed up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I will say w- one other thing I did want to call out, and I mentioned this way at the beginning. Um, one of my favorites, and I don't know for some reason this always gets me. Is it, it's a very minute thing, but the scene probably my one of my favorite moments is actually between Chris Tucker and Ian Holm. Uh, you know, two two very different actors, but they have the mm. great moment where they're looking at the bomb. And and Ian Holmes like you know starting to say something and Chris Tucker's like eh, no if that because if that was a bomb you know they're kind of like looking at I don't know they have this great exchange yeah. I, I just love that moment so much. Well, uh, that, no, I do, I do think that's great, and it t- yeah. tying into the bomb, Bill, you were saying how unspectacular uh, we lose Zorg. I kind of like that because I love the fact that he gets in there and he, he stops it. He's and and you know he's like whoo, and then then the the makers are like nope, fuck yeah. you. And it just like and it opens up to boop 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 and it's like counting down from where it was stopped before and he just looked like does he doesn't say fuck what does he say he says he said mm-hmm. what does he say as his like last line before he blows up doesn't he say shit or something doesn't shit is that what he, I can't remember but it's still it's like just like the kind of look like oh wait he goes out kind of like a punk and yeah. I think yeah. he, because he's not the big bad he's he's the henchman yeah. he's the henchman now the the big bad goes out and becomes a kind of a moon. Um, and I, the thing is, I guess, you know, it don't happens every 5,000 years. So you think it should know like, oh shit, you know, I guess that's why it plans the whole thing to say, to try to steal the stones. Um, and that 5,000 years to plan it, but I guess maybe it only has influence after a certain period of time. I don't know. And then it begs the question, what happens yeah. 5,000 years from now? Yeah. Are they, you know, yeah. are they going to, are they going to take, are they going to take Lilu and, and throw her in another sarcophagus? Yeah. Yes. And and put her in suspended animation for another five thousand years, and Bruce Willis is like, "Well, hey, I love you, babe, but we got to, you know, freeze you for five thousand years, and then yeah. what's going to happen then?" And I don't, know, I don't know. I'm just kind of curious. Are they going to protect the stones a little better this time? Yeah, Maybe. So can, can we actually? Can we actually? If we want to skip ahead to the very end, uh, there, there's actually <laughs> what you just said actually touches on one thing that rewatching this film. I, I actually think is the single biggest problem that I have with this movie. So obviously uh, we were talking about the, the aesthetics. This is a very aesthetic film. It's a very visual movie. The, the plot is very simple. There's a lot of stuff that honestly, like I'm actually okay with that because it doesn't try to give you a convoluted plot. It doesn't try to do too much. It kind of knows what it is and it executes it very well. But the one thing that rewatching this as an adult that I didn't, 
ever think about as a kid because this wasn't something that was really on my mind. But the way that they save, the way that they ultimately save the world and the universe is by his love for her activating her power to stop the the uh, the orb, the evil orb or whatever, Mr. Shadow, right? Right. Yeah. I do not get that at all. I, I do I do not get him falling mm-hmm. in love with her. He has he has a couple of scenes with her. He he most of the scenes that <laughs> he has with her are like pity or yeah. you know almost like looking at her as a burden and then he's professing his love for her yeah. and i think that this is the one thing that i actually have discovered i really dislike about this movie <sighs> <laughs> renee yeah. sounds like he has something to say well, yeah. so i'm gonna shut up i'm sorry i've been like uncomfortably fidgeting around for like oh because i'm just yeah there's dive just into it. i honestly you could have replaced her and cast a dog as Lilu. The movie would not have changed. Except well, it's, it's the end the would sex- have been very mm. bad. Yeah. It's called the sexy lamp. If you can replace a, a, the female character with a sexy lamp. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah. And I agree. I mean, she, she can't talk. She can't communicate yeah. in any effective way. And, and it really bugged me too when the, I didn't mention it then, but when the diva was like dying, she's like, oh, she's so strong, but she's so weak and she needs you. Uh. Like, oh, come on. And then yeah. at the yeah. very end, when she's like, please tell me you love me, please. Like she desperately needs him to love her. Like, oh, this is so awful. See, I got the idea what- of it that she needed him to love her for her to do whatever her thing there was. And that didn't make any sense. Oh. It's like, when was that part of the deal? You're the Supreme being. Like, <laughs> yeah, we just need to get you to the, uh, get you to the, you know, the throne there. And, and he didn't need to love you. Yeah. To, because you know, the, fifth ele- the fifth element is love. Love. Yeah. And yeah. that's like, she's, did you she's a me? Supreme being, but what's a Supreme being if they're not worshiped and loved? She she is it's that's 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 uh, a, you know that I mean that's a fun garbage. little trope in a lot of movies gods that are no longer loved cease but, to I mean, exist. They, they 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 it, but he's the only that's one. A different kind of love though. Yeah, I mean yeah. he's professing he's professing like deep personal Romantic love. love yeah. yeah, like we're gonna hook up later in a tube love. I mean, I think if there's only one scene where she really has any sort of agency at all, or she does anything, yeah. is when she goes beats the shit out of the Mangalores. Um, and, and other than that, I guess she she does provide them the, the information where the where the stones are. But other than yeah. that, she's like yeah. you said, she's she's just the what do you call it? What do you say? She could be replaced by what? Sexy lamp. No, no, I said the oh, sexy I said lamp. The dog. 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 The dog. Yeah, she could be replaced by a dog, and the dog would be woof, woof, woof. right. A dog like, would have ran to the airport. Let's meet halfway and say she could be replaced with a sexy dog. Okay, sexy well, dog, that's true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah she is. Bruce Willis is a middle-aged divorced man with a cat. Of course, he's going to fall in love with her. <laughs> Right. I mean, okay, let's let's get a couple things straight. If I ever meet Mila Jovovich in life, uh, the first thing I'm going to do is profess my love for her, obviously, <laughs> even though I've never yeah. met her. But That's it's kind of funny. coming out of her mouth is... Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, like, it's, funny, it's funny that we've kind of talked through this whole movie and we've talked about a lot of characters, but yeah, we, we really haven't talked about her at all. And she's kind of the central... But I think the problem is, like, Renee, like, I, I think you're kind of getting at that she is not a character, she is a plot device. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. 
And I think I, so here are my thoughts. And I thought a lot about this after I watched it. Cause again, I, I watched this like a lot as a kid or as a teenager and I hadn't really revisited it as an adult. And I think that I hate that character. I, or, or I don't hate the character, but I hate the way that she's written. The only reason that it works is I think Mila Jovovich is actually a decent enough actress that she pulls it off. Like she pulls off yeah. the character being likable and believable. And she actually has a lot of like facial expressions that kind of sell her performance. I don't know. Well, Renee, yeah, I go mean, ahead. at the end of the day, it was a, she's supposed to be hot and Mila's yeah. hot. That's it. That's all you need to be. <laughs> but I mean, they could have gotten somebody a lot hotter. Yeah, but she was big at the time. Don't you think? All these people at that time were were pretty, you know. I mean, if if that's what you were going for, you were going for a hot woman. I wouldn't have chosen her. Renee Renee said it earlier that she's she's attractive in an unusual way, and and she's she's attractive in an interesting way. Yeah, she's. I mean, I've I've seen criticisms like, "Oh, she's flat chested." Like, okay, first of all, shut the fuck up. Second. She's got super intense eyes, and and like Zach said, she got some great facial expressions. Um, you know, I mean, I think she works as she's not supposed to be a hot woman. She's, you know, the fifth element. She's the ultimate, blah blah blah, the chosen one. And the chosen one should not look like those thermal bandages. Like, I disagree. I, 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 yeah, I know. I actually, I actually disagree because the the way that people react to her, like. The the joke is they reveal her and they're like mid sentence and then they're like oh the the dot 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 perfect being when they see her so I think she the way that people react to her like when they see her as a human they actually do react to her as oh she's the perfect being and we you know what we mean wink wink and two things on that one that Brian James so sorry I know it wasn't him personally but he's like let me get my cell phone out snippety snap. And the only time she's ever referred to as perfect is when she's naked. Yeah. All right. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, that's fine. I think I think there's a lot of I completely agree. I, I, again, I love the is, movie up to a point, and then it's like, yeah. what is happening? So, so I was kind of yeah. I, I was like, okay, God, this actually doesn't really make sense at the end because, and and this also the thing where it's like, they're aren't a lot of conventions in this film because I really do hate it when there are like, okay, why are these two characters together? Because they are, it's the leading man and the leading woman. So of course they fall in love. And for the most part, this film ignores, like avoids those conventions up until the very end. And then it's like literally the thing that saves the world is, Oh, I love you. It's like, wait, what you've spent. What are they going to talk about for the next? (laughs) Exactly. They're multi-passes, obviously. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I don't know. <laughs> that multi-pass bit was pretty funny, actually. I like again, they're not going to talk about it. much because he's going to put her back in the sarcophagus for another five minutes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Again, again, yeah. He's a middle-aged divorced man and a cat, and he's in this movie, which means he doesn't have long to live, apparently. Oh God. Yeah. Oh, dear. Uh, I was going to mention. Once again, before. happy birthday to Bruce Willis, who's sixty-six. Yeah, happy birthday. <laughs> hey. <laughs> Hey, better take the news. Another birthday. Most of the people who were in this movie. Oh boy. Uh, sorry, Alan. What were you saying? I was saying, couldn't she just live as as normal? I mean, won't she live forever? She's the supreme being. Right. Does right. She have but, to be put in. Well, I mean, they and they, they found her. She was in a sarcophagus in uh, ancient ancient Egypt. Like in a yeah. state of yeah. Whatever. And I mean, and presumably that's why I'm guessing. You know, when they found her, her hand. 
it looked like it was in still encased in that sort of same, you know, material. So that's yeah. not, you know. Again, the the actual like uh story like like how how all this actually works is very unclear because they don't spend a lot of time explaining it, which is fine. But the it, it is like okay, yeah, I guess the the, the evil comes back every five thousand years, and she has to be there to stop it or whatever. No, it makes sense, you know, for just you know the story written by this the sixteen year old guy, of course, you know the yeah. Man, man, French man child. Yes, and I will say that this is what Paul was uh, setting up for earlier: is that she is the supreme being. All right, like the supreme being, and she gets stuck with this like unemployed taxi driver who has a suspended <laughs> yeah. license. Oh, like, I smell a sitcom. <laughs> but he, he's actually a highly skilled special forces op. It's yeah, going to be great. It's like he works for an advertising company and she does, and there's all kinds of wacky hijinks where she like <laughs> makes things happen because she's the supreme being. But he doesn't want that. He wants to just be a normal schlub earning money, being the breadwinner. And you just described yeah, WandaVision, not, Bill. That's yeah, that's WandaVision. That's right. She's not she's not magical, she's just a weapon. She's a she's a yeah. actually I don't ever even refer to her as a woman, do they? She's just a she's a being. Yeah. She's a thing. The perfect the perfect being. Now you know we're taking we're taking all this on on other people's say so. I mean, you know, in terms of what? Does, well, how perfect and supreme she really is. I mean, maybe to them, who knows what their standards are? She did take care of the big evil thing, but you know we didn't really get to see a lot of him either. Maybe he wasn't evil so much as misunderstood. We're taking an awful lot <laughs> on other people's say so. That is oh, a good boy. point. Yeah, we should uh, see a film from the 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 the, the yeah. giant evil's perspective. Every five thousand years, I just want to go kiss the earth, and it doesn't like me. Well, like, well, no consent, so therefore it is a bad guy. But I have a whole theory on that. I, so I think it could be plausible because trying to save the planet because we don't really belong here. I mean, we're destroying the earth, so maybe he's trying to save the planet wow. for real, real. Yeah, but doesn't it like destroy the entire universe as well? Oh, I just, uh, I don't know. I don't yeah, know. because yeah, the idea, well, you know, I was just, you know, facetious. I'm, once again, omelets and eggs. If he, <laughs> if he, if he, if he stands in the spot where they they stand instead of them, then he brings darkness to the universe. So he's not he's not actually. I don't think he's even coming to destroy the world necessarily. He's trying to get to that place so he can he can stand there with the other four elements. Again, this is explained in the over the course of about fourteen seconds, yeah. twenty minutes in the film, and then never referenced again. So. It's kind of flimsy. So then, yeah, I mean, they they basically live happily ever after, and yeah. we roll credits on Eric Sarah's "Little Light of Love" or possibly the Beastie Boys if you're listening to Alan's version. <laughs> <laughs> um, hey, so let's do. Let we. I think we can probably wrap up. Uh, we want to move on to our next section where we talk about legacy and franchise. Hmm. And obviously, yeah. well, for a long time, it was rumored that there was going to be a sequel to this film called Mr. Shadow. I remember this well because I saw the rumors on the Internet circa like the late 90s, and I was very excited. And obviously, they never made a sequel, and it's probably for the best considering the quality of film that he's put out since. That's so great. It makes me think of those kid, kids books. Do you remember those? It was like Mr. Whatever or Miss. It was like Mr. a little. Happy Mr. Yeah. Oh, that would have <laughs> 
<laughs> like a little Mr. Shadow with like a top hat. Oh, thing. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Hey, we got to go back because I, I, I forgot something very important. And I have got to call it out because this is a uh, this is a callback because Chris Tucker, you know what else Chris Tucker was in? Mm-hmm. Chris Tucker was in the music video for California Love. Oh, that's right. Oh, I forgot <laughs> yeah. about that. Tupac's California Love, which was set in Thunderdome. I'm sorry. I, I was just looking. I glanced back at my notes. And I was like, how did I not mention this? I have to because it's a callback to our Mad Max episode. So I yeah. apologize. Uh, what was oh, I saying? I um, yeah. So legacy of this film. What impact, if any, do we think this has had on film or, or other media since it was released? I, I think I said before earlier, I, unfortunately, I think people have tried to to make films like this. Um, Valeria from the same guy, um, Jupiter Ascending, and it just hasn't worked. Uh, it's, it's kind of its own thing with a lot of style, not necessarily a whole lot of substance. But you can only do that so many times. It, it has the right combination, you know, likable characters, likable uh, actors in it, and all. But it, it's a hard one. If they were saying, "Hey, make a make a movie like The Fifth Element," I don't know how easy that is to do without it obviously being a ripoff of The Fifth Element. It's got such a unique look of its own. It's kind of hard to, uh, you know, to exploit the way others like you know the Road Warrior and stuff were fairly easy to to do. I don't know. I don't know. No, I, I agree with you, Bill. I, I think that's it's. It was also a movie of its time too, because like we had mm. talked about the special effects, which are are a big part of this, right? And you have that mix of practical with enough CGI to to make it special. And at the time, that was really cool. We hadn't seen anything yeah. like that. And now again, it'd be all CGI, and people wouldn't go, "I don't really give a shit," because it was you know ah, somebody did it on a computer, and they don't they don't really wouldn't really pay attention to it as much anymore. Um, and so I think it, part of it was of its time. So you couldn't even really recapture that, that lightning in a bottle, as they say. Right. Yeah. Um, which is, I guess a good thing. Um, so it's, it's a, you know, I mean, Valerian and the city of a thousand planets is a gorgeous looking film. Beautiful. And, and every, every still could be blown up and be a poster on my wall. Every single frame of that film is, is absolutely gorgeous. And I would rather take a nap than ever watch it again. <laughs> Yeah, I I think I think the other thing about this movie is, you know, it was a success at the box office, but it wasn't a like record setting success. Right. And it's become something I think something of a cult film. It's kind of actually interesting that this is apparently still a very divisive film. It was when it came out and it still is that it's like a love it or hate it film, because for a long time. I just assumed everyone loved this movie because I always loved it and all my friends loved it and it's an amazing film. And then once I started reading like some of the reviews, it definitely seems like people are like, you know, this is amazing. This is just a a beautifully made movie or people are like, this is just trash and I hate it. So it's one of those, it's one of those movies that um, it, it did well. I mean, it, it certainly made its money back at the box office. It it turned a good profit and everything, but 75% of that profit was from outside the United States and it's kind of a chauvinistic thing but if a movie doesn't if a movie doesn't really score big in the US even if it makes a lot of money outside 
Mad Max right there. It's not really considered a huge hit. That's not fair. And and there and you know there are movies that have had sequels. And everyone's like, why did they make a sequel to Highlander? Because well, it made money everywhere but here. Yeah, and that, so. that's funny because that actually has changed in the recent years. But back when this movie came out, right, it was definitely all about the domestic box office. Yeah, it's actually funny because another series and it's Mila Jovovich kind of did become an action hero after this. And yes. you know, another series that keeps going and going. Or, or did keep going and going was, you know, the Resident Evil series. And that was because they kept making money overseas. Yeah. Oh, yeah. How many of those did they make? I think six or seven. Isn't Holy that being crap. rebooted this year? Yeah, they're rebooting it. I think oh, Netflix wow. is trying to reboot it. Wait, wait, wait. You mean you mean the final chapter is not the final chapter? Yeah, I know, <laughs> right? starting it's, over uh, again. Uh, I, I, think, I think that's a given again. in any, any series. Yeah. It's the final chapter, you know. It's, a new yeah, beginning is coming next. Bill, Bill just <laughs> Bill just found out there were five other Friday the Thirteenth films. He's very surprised. Wait, I want to I want to kind of go back to like the the just the the legacy of this and and yeah. popularity. I think part of the popularity though in the U.S. does did it's one of those ones where because like I said, I remember it being marketed as very very straight as a very mm. serious straight sci-fi film and. Like you said, it wasn't sci-fi wasn't as popular in the '90s, and I like sci-fi, but I, it didn't appeal to me because it was like, oh, I just Bruce Willis being Bruce Willis, a shit, and the, it didn't had people didn't know the basically the the humorous tone of it, and people caught that on video, and I think a lot of people who love it now are probably people who caught it later watching on home video or on you know you know HBO or wherever they happen to catch it, and when my wife and I went and saw it at at the Alamo for their um, movie parties. It was it was a party. It really was like sometimes you go to those that are okay. This everyone was it was slam full of people. Everybody loved it, and and everyone had such a fun with the props and and the 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 call outs that you could do because you know the Alamo is kind of limited, but you're allowed to yeah. for the movie parties you're allowed to to quote along and you know big bada boom and just everyone it, there was so much fun people had with it. So. The, the people who love it still still just absolutely still love it and ha and seem to have a good time with it. So, um, but again, I think that probably came about after the fact. Yeah. Well, you know, one other movie, <laughs> and I just mentioned this one because it was kind of part of that uh, Mila Jovovich trying to, like people trying to make her into a an action star after this. Does anyone remember Ultraviolet? Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's another one that I really <laughs> felt was kind of trying to rip this off, but was, you know, failed miserably and was a, a truly horrible film. Uh, side note, also uh, co-starring uh, Nick Chunland. So, hey. Oh, hey. Yeah. Possible connection if he was in this movie after all. Um, <laughs> <laughs> do we want to move on to our kind of final ratings and rants on this one? <laughs> Certainly. Certainly. Okay. Well, <laughs> hey. Uh, Let's see. I, I'm kind of interested here because we haven't heard a whole lot from Alan tonight. I'm kind of interested to hear his take on this one. Alan, do you want to start us off? Sure, sure. So, so, I, I, so if you look at the cover of this, and like I said, I thought I had seen this before. Um, I thought this was a serious, like science fiction film, and um. It's 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 really not to me. This is really more of a comedy than it is anything else. And again, it's interesting that IMDb doesn't even put that in the genres that it lists it under, um, because I, I I don't normally I don't really like science fiction films, but um, this movie wasn't all science fiction. Um, 
and I think that's why at, at least I liked it a little. Um, the, the 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 biggest things that I didn't like about about the movie was that um, Bruce Willis was Bruce Willis. I felt like I was sort of watching an episode of Moonlighting, you know, in space. I mean, he it's the same character. It's he seems to be the same character in most of what he's he's in. And if you're a fan of Bruce Willis, I guess that's good. And I'm not a like not a fan of Bruce Willis. Um, but um, and and then um, well, then let me give you my rating, and I'll I'll tell you. I'll tell you where I added and subtracted points. So for me, this movie, I'm going to give this movie a three. I mean, it's, it's, it's a good movie. The, um, the, the, the plot is we got to go find these things and put them in place. It's like video games. You know, I played back in the eighties. Um, so, but like I said, I, the science fiction part of it, it wasn't really what, I mean, I like this more really of, of a comedy more than the science fiction or the action part, even though those were, those were good. Um, but I, I gave it a, th- I sort of, I sort of, wish-washed between two and a half and three because again it's it's a lot of action the plot is like i said we got to go get these four stones put them in place and and stand in the middle um but i I did enjoy it so i gave it a three i don't agree with the rating i think this should be an r they should take out the nudity i mean obviously that's what zach at 14 years old was watching this 450 times right um but uh yeah so a, a three i give it a three Cool. And well, apparently, I, can, I left you all speechless. I, with my I can, I, I can neither <laughs> confirm nor deny. But uh, I say there, there are a lot of films that have that have nudity. You can get away with some nudity in, in a PG thirteen film. Not um, if I was on that board. Oh, I'd well. be slamming the hammer now. <laughs> oh, <boy. laughs> but you can explode some heads, though. That's true. Uh, <laughs> yes, a that's few. True. Bill, you want to go next? Oh God! So, by the way, that's three out of what? Oh, this is oh, this uh, is out of the yeah. Sorry, I, I should I should explain for people. This is three out of five, and we are not doing stars. We are doing VHS tapes because we're in the video store, so it's got to be uh, thematic. So yeah, three out of five. Rewound. Three fully rewound tapes yeah. out of five. I will. Mm, I'm I'm vacillating between three and a half to four, um, because I I do like it, and it, it's it's very pretty. I like I like the world building. I like the practical effects and everything. And I'm not too fond of the other movies that are sort of cropped in with this one, in terms of very you know stylistic, pretty sci-fi stuff and everything. So you know I I want to reward it for being better than those. Um, I would watch it again. I was I was happy to revisit it for the for the blog here, uh, for the podcast blog. What am I talking about? Um. But yeah, you know, I just it 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 it's it's a, it's a weird thing. It's like I like it. I I I'm not going to hold the skeeviness of the director against it. Um, and you know, I make fun of Chris Tucker and everything, but it, it, that's an amusing part. It's not a movie that takes itself so seriously, like it was a hardcore science fiction movie, and then all of a sudden, boom. They drop this ridiculous character into it. I mean, it's it's, it's pretty ridiculous from the get go. So I'm gonna give it. I'm gonna I'm gonna put it all the way up to four. I've decided. Yeah, yeah. It's it's fun. It's a fun movie. I think uh, if you don't think too seriously about it, and I can well understand why it could be someone's one of someone's favorite movies, especially if you saw it at the right time. So I am not at all surprised that Zach still holds a lot of fondness in his heart for it. And unlike a lot of guilty pleasures that some of us have, and this would be me talking, uh, <laughs> it's com- 
completely defendable that you like this movie as opposed to some of the ones that I've tried to push on people. Uh, there, there, yeah, plenty of other movies that I love that are, are probably not defendable, but yeah, this is, this is one, <laughs> honestly, I would probably still recommend to people who, who like entertaining yeah. action films. So, and, and I'll tell you, there's nothing that is bothering me more in life, which tells you something right now, then you go on Facebook. And of course the big thing right now is the Zack Snyder stuff. And look, I totally get that there are people who don't like it. I understand that there's a lot of stuff I don't like that other people like. These people seem to really take it personally. Like someone liking something they don't is a comment on them that you are you're, you're maliciously pretending to enjoy something because you know <laughs> that they don't like it. And I just want to say, many great scientists have looked at this and and I think the data checks out. The world does not revolve around you. Nobody gives a rat's ass <laughs> what you think about films that I would pretend to like something just to get at you. You are, no <laughs> one is that important to anyone ever, much less these folks. So, you know, it's, it's crazy. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, yeah. You know, this is, it's a fun film for a lot of people and I'm sure there are folks who absolutely don't like it and they should probably, I don't know, watch something else. <laughs> well put, well put. Yeah. Uh, Paul, let's go to you next. Okay. Um, well, all right. Prior to prior to watching it uh, this round and and critically taking a look at it, I, I would have given this a good four and a half, solid four and a half. I you know watched it many times. My wife absolutely adores it. Um, it's fun to watch. When we watched it this round, she watched it with me. We watched it, then say, "Hey, are there any extras?" Oh, the only extras is this shitty uh, trivia track. All right, let's put that on, and we start watching the movie again. So I, I think I'm gonna like I'm gonna, I'm gonna settle on a four. So, Nice. Uh, and Renee, so I, I kind of saved you for last because I am very interested to hear your final thoughts on this and kind of w w how you ultimately judge this film. So uh, yeah. what do you think? Well, uh, <laughs> it's funny. Well, see, now I would completely change my score if I knew it would trigger somebody because I just really enjoy <laughs> that. Um, however, <laughs> so, so you case, are the one who will do that. I like it. I am. And, uh, zero. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I will. So it, yeah. And I'm the same way where the art and the artists, you know, um, I would give this a four, um, because, you know, I really taking everything out of it and don't, you know, don't, don't be like me. Don't watch a movie and think too much about it a lot of times, unless it really deserves that. Um, cause this isn't the movie that really deserves that. Um, but I think it is, is worth pointing out. Um, so, you know, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a lot when I was younger. I had it on VHS myself, even though I rarely watched it on VHS cause it was always on, I think TBS and you could just be flipping the channels and it would be on. And it was one of those movies. Every time you saw, you would just stop and watch it no matter what part it was in. Um, and even, you know, when I watched it last night, I, I didn't hate it. It was just at the very end where it's like, oh, this is much more disappointing than I remember. Um, just, yeah, that literally just that ending scene. Well, with when there are, you know, the stones, all that stuff. Um, so, yeah, I would say it's a four because, again, you know, like Paul says, I would... Uh, I would watch it again. I would tell, you know, I would tell people they could watch it. And the candy, uh, or I'm sorry, um, cotton candy metaphor was perfect because you enjoy it. And at the end, you get a stomachache. So perfect. 
So you're saying this film gives you a stomach ache? Just at the end. <laughs> Just at the end. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, it's it's actually funny that you use that kind of uh, metaphor or analogy because I, I I was actually thinking the same thing when I was thinking about it last night. I was like, yeah, this is basically a buffet made entirely of candy and there's not really a whole lot to it. There is no nutritional value whatsoever, yeah. but oh my God, like I'm going to keep going back to that buffet time after time <laughs> and just like stuffing my face because it kind of never gets old. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I, this is a film like, man, when I was a teenager, I mean, this probably would have been like a five on my list. Uh, uh, yeah, appropriately enough, giving it VHS tapes. I too had this film on VHS and I know that I watched it uh, multiple times. So I think ultimately I was kind of going back and forth on this because I'm almost, I almost wanted to give it a little extra because I was, I was at a four, but I was like, ah, but it's, it's, there's so many little things that I love about this, but I don't think it's quite a 4.5. So I don't think I've done this before, but I'm going to, I'm going to go halfway between the halfway between uh, and do, do a a 4.25. Wow. just a little bit just a little bit better maybe it's maybe it's just that that zork accent or maybe it's just that baby racine or uh, or maybe it's just the the stewardess getting getting hit by the thing and and falling and hearing the the, the sound effects uh, i don't know it's just it's all those little things they just add up to uh, so so i'm going to give it a 4.25 i think that knowing what i do now about yeah luke Passan, like god there's 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 a lot there uh he he hasn't really made a i mean he made the messenger after this which was okay but since then it's all been trash so there's also that but just yeah it sounds like he's a really kind of despicable human being so that's very unfortunate but hey you know there were a lot of very talented people in front of the camera and behind the camera on this film and you know not to discount their efforts so i i think it's still a very enjoyable film i would like I said, this was the first time in probably 20 years I had watched it. And honestly, I'd probably watch it again next week if I wanted to. If, you know, like Paul said, it's one of those movies you sit down and you start watching it. And you're like, oh, I'll watch this for a few minutes. I, you know, I got a few minutes to kill. And then you're 45 minutes or an hour in. And it's like, oh, yeah, well, I may as well finish it now. So, um, so yeah. Uh, what, Ellen, I'm sorry. What was your, your score? Uh, I gave it a three, so we ended up at a 3.85 with your quarter tape rewind. Oh. <laughs> oh, the contempt in his voice. <laughs> Man. Now, now Renee, like you, should, you, should have, you should have given it a five. I think that would have triggered Alan. Um, Although, now, I will say that this, this time Zach did hit his uh, goal of choosing an order where it was strictly increasing. We went three, four, 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 oh, four point yeah. two five. So technically, it did. Yeah, uh-huh. I did it. I didn't even mean to do it this yeah. time, but yeah. I mean, yes, of course, I meant to do that. What are you talking about? <laughs> um, completely intentional. Uh, I, I have one other thing I want to mention because this is something I didn't find a chance to mention otherwise, and it's just a fun little connection. So obviously, Ian Holm, uh, lots of great movies he's been in, but if you're a sci-fi fan, you probably or a horror fan, you probably know him from Alien. I don't know. Are you guys familiar with Mila Jovovich's music career at all? Oh, no. Uh, yeah. So, so she has a she, and this is not a this is not a uh, a, a setup for a joke. She has a an album called The Divine Comedy. It is actually a really good album. She's actually a really I don't I don't know if she did all the music. I I mean she sings. 
but um, I would actually recommend it to people because it's almost, uh, I don't know what genre you'd put it in, but it's almost like folk music. Uh, I don't know. It's, huh. it's, um, <laughs> if, it's funny because if you watch, uh, she's also in Dazed and Confused, if you remember her in that. Um, and she actually has a line where she's like, or there's a scene where she's like singing, she's like strumming a guitar, guitar and singing something is actually something from the album, which I thought was oh, kind of cool. Oh. Yeah, so uh, I, I, I go look it up. Uh, the Gentleman Who Fell is one of the songs from the album. It's a great song, but uh, uh, just a little piece of trivia. There is a music video for The Gentleman Who Fell, and uh, there is another <laughs> actor in that video, and that actor is uh, Harry Dean Stanton. So and that oh. actually came out before The Fifth Element, so this was not the first time she had appeared with a, a, a former uh, alien actor, so. I don't know. I just thought that was kind of fun. I think that about does it. So I guess we can sign off and we can tell people at home that if you like this episode, you should probably subscribe. A, you should subscribe to us on your favorite podcast provider. B, you should go to, well, if you're already subscribed, you can find our our, our other episodes or you can go to videostorejunkies.com to find more content. And then C, you should go to twitter.com and you should follow us at Video Junkies Pod, where we post updates, we post about movies. Renee yells at me because I'm posting about the wrong movies, but <laughs> I, tr I try to post about a variety of films, um, entertaining, you know, screenshots and gifts and all kinds of stuff. Just know that anything I post, uh, Renee's probably shouting me at me about. So, um, and you know, and, and really, if, you, if you've made it, if you've made it this far in the podcast, and you're like wondering, wow, should I subscribe? Yeah, you really need to. You've made it three hours. You, <laughs> you should true. subscribe. You really should. Yeah, that's very true. Hey, if if you like the meandering style of this podcast, there's literally dozens of hours more to be found. So uh, yeah, and we'll 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 be coming out with more episodes uh, practically every two weeks. So uh, yeah, definitely check us out. So. I, I think that's it. Uh, as of this recording, we actually don't know what movie we'll be doing next. So listen for about another 30 seconds and I'll probably say it in the outro that I record. So, or actually I probably won't record an outro because I just said everything I say. So, hey, tune in in two weeks and we'll be covering, does anyone want to throw out a film off, off, the, off the top of their head to, to watch? I, I had heard uh, Super Mario Brothers batting around, but. Oh my God. Do we want to do uh, Super Mario Brothers? Uh, uh please i mean please. i mean I, I think it's our destiny okay well yeah. paul said it so we're gonna make it happen probably oh. because i just mentioned super mario brothers today and i found out that there is a an entire twitter account devoted to the super mario brothers movie so come back in two weeks oh actually um no hold on that that oh. we kind of oh. blew a really good uh uh intro there so so let me mix it up pretend you didn't hear that hey guys what movie stars John Leguizamo, Bob Hoskins, and Dennis Hopper? Can, is there a movie with a, a cast that amazing? Can you think of one? I Sister sure can. Who, the Traveling <laughs> Pants? I, <don't> <laughs> I can. Very close. It's actually in the same cinematic universe. But no, I, um, I am talking about 1993's adaptation of the hit Nintendo video game Super Mario <laughs> Brothers. Uh, it is... God, it's an experience. Let's just say that. So if you haven't seen Super Mario Brothers, I would highly recommend speaking of that right now. I don't know if it's actually streaming anywhere, but you know, by any means necessary, find it and watch it because it is an amazing experience. And I think we're going to probably spend, I don't know, probably six or seven hours talking about it because there's that much to unpack. So join us in two weeks and we'll be talking about that movie. So until then, uh, good night.
everyone can say good night and I'll cut. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night. Hello. Corbin, sweetheart. You got broken fingers, you can't punch my number. Hi, Mom. Welcome, Mom. Have a nice day. Major Dallas, you're selected for a mission of the utmost importance. What mission? Save the world. <laughs> is, uh, is that thing solid? Unbreakable. Good. Sword of the stone. I don't know. And even if I did know, I wouldn't tell somebody like you. There's nowhere else to go.